your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. The Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And with Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. Great to be with you until 10 a.m. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm still looking forward to baseball, still looking forward to sports, even though some athletes aren't looking forward to it as much as I apparently am. Yeah, but it's their job, Randy. That's true. It's our passion. It's our entertainment. It's completely different. I want them to entertain me. (laughs) You want the show? I do. Yeah, here's what we have coming up on this show. We're going to talk to our buddy Greg Amzinger of MLB Network at the bottom of the hour at 7.30. We're going to head into the Blues booth with John Kelly at 8.15, plus Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com, a local product from the ill side, and uh, the lead college football writer for CBSSports.com. He has an an interesting piece up at CBSSports.com about NCAA testing for college athletes and specifically college football players with the season eight weeks away. So we're going to talk to Dennis about that coming up at 9.30, but we're going to get things started with baseball players opting out of playing this year. And Buster Olney uh, projected this last week as he joined Rivs and BK here on 101 ESPN. It's going to become a circus. And and as I wrote in a column yesterday, um, you know, if you're Rob Manfred, you're the owners, you have to understand that if you implement a season, then it it might be that on a day-by-day basis, the biggest stories in the sport are not hey, you know, the Cardinals faced off with the Cubs, it might be, okay, which stars have left their their, uh, clubhouses today? Which players are not available today? That would get really ugly uh, for baseball if it plays out that way. I think you could cue the Benny Hill music. And, Michelle, we'll get to the players that aren't going to play in a moment, but the Cardinals, according to Derek Gould at STLToday.com, have not had anybody say that they aren't going to play, although they did have a player test positive for COVID-19 yesterday. We don't know who that player is, won't know who that player is, but they did have one throughout the process of the testing so far that has tested positive. So far being the key words, but you kind of had a feeling that at least someone was going to test positive based on the trends we were seeing across sports in general with players returning to their training facilities. But if there's only one, that's great. And hopefully that person is quarantining and the team has taken the proper protocols. But I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that it was only one player so far. And that is the play for baseball. You have to quarantine and then test positive or test negative two consecutive days before you can play again. Now to the players who aren't going to play yesterday. Mike Leake of the Diamondbacks had his agent announce that he isn't going to participate 
The Cardinals were due for, for a full season this year to pay $4 million of Mike Leake's salary. They'll save themselves about $1.3 million because he's decided not to play. Thanks, Mike. I was going to say, there you go. Some positive news, Randy. Yeah, and he can make that up by picking things up at the store. <laughs> Took me a second, but I see where you're going. <laughs> That's still one of the strangest stories. Yeah, Mike Leake shoplifter. At, at Macy's, right? Wasn't yeah, it a right t-shirt at Macy's? Yeah, yeah. He said he forgot to pay. That happens all the time. You just shoved it up under your shirt, forgot to pay? <laughs> yeah. So he's not going to play. Neither is Ryan Zimmerman. His uh, his mother is susceptible and uh, vulnerable, has underlying issues. He's got three kids, his wife, and uh, also Joe Ross of the, the Nationals. And perhaps the most interesting story, and we're going to get more in-depth about this later on in the show, is Ian Desmond of the Rockies deciding not to play. He has a pregnant wife, three kids at home, and for a lot of reasons, Ian Desmond has decided, you know what, I'm just going to sit this one out. He posted a very powerful Instagram post. It's several slides long, so we're not going to read the entire thing to you, but I suggest everybody go and read it because it's not just strictly about COVID and about the issues that are are facing him if he intended to play, but it's about what's happening in America today. It's about what he would like to see um prog like progress in America today. It's it's very well thought out. And there are many athletes who are thoughtful and many athletes who think behind the scenes and you don't really know and he's a guy that said hey I just kept it in I tried to keep an even keel and try to be that happy guy mm-hmm. and finally reached a breaking point and decided you know what I have to, to let all these feelings out and did on Instagram this morning so if you do get that opportunity to read Ian Desmond's reasons for not playing and his feelings about what's going on in America. I think it is a an interesting read on Instagram, and I think people should check it out. Interesting and worthwhile. And there are a couple of other things going on in other sports. The NFLPA has told its agents to talk to their clients about risk factors. Rather than the NFLPA sending out some sort of a memo to players, or rather than the NFL and the NFLPA partnering so that coaches and organizations can talk to players about risk factors, the most trusted people in the sport for players are their agents. So the NFLPA has taken that short, shortest line between themselves and the player that is the agent to get them to try to understand what's going on here. Well, players associate agents with someone that always has their back and deals with their money and will fight for them for money. So... Hey, if your agent comes to you and says, this is what you need to do, if not, these are going to be the consequences. It's not your team or your coach or someone lecturing you. It's someone that normally you kind of confide in and that you feel has your back. Here's my thing, though. If I am the parent of an NFL player, I've tried to set them down and explain what COVID-19 is. If I am an NFL player that pays any attention at all to what's going on in the league during this offseason, I see that Ezekiel Elliott has tested positive for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I say, man, I better check this out. I wonder what percentage of the 1,700 NFL players have no idea what COVID-19 is. 25%? Could be. Very easily could be. I think a lot of athletes kind of do their own thing and might live in their own world because they normally have people telling them what to do, telling them where to be, here's what you eat. It's very structured in their lives. And that's why you see guys when it when it's the off season, sometimes they're kind of aimless because they don't have all those people directing them here. Or after they retire, they talk about how difficult that is to cope with. But the, on, the only caveat I would put there is that 
these guys have been in quarantine, so they've already yeah. had that part of their day or of their existence removed. The structure is not there. They've had to be at home by themselves. That's a great point. Yeah, so I would think if you had to quarantine and remove yourself from your daily job, you would take the time to maybe watch the news or do a little reading online as to what's going on, you know, a global pandemic. Yeah. But I also am realistic and have worked in this industry for a long time and know a lot of athletes sometimes don't want to live in reality. They just kind of want to do their own thing. Back in the mid-80s, the Mets had a pitcher named Sid Fernandez. Wore number 50 because he was from Hawaii, the 50th state, and didn't really pay a lot of attention during the offseason. And the Mets made the biggest move of the offseason one year. They traded for Kevin McReynolds. And they, the players get to spring training, and Sid Fernandez goes up to Kevin McReynolds and says, says, Man, I hate pitching to you. What are you doing here? McReynolds says, Dude, I got traded here during the offseason. And Fernandez says, I had no idea. <laughs> Didn't even know it was a teammate. No, no. He shows up at camp, but he has no spring training. And, and this was a trade that happened in December. Had no idea that Kevin McReynolds was his new teammate. Just focusing on himself, Randy. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Look inward. And now let's move to the NBA because they seem to have moved past the whole COVID-19, Michelle. It seems to me that the NBA is more interested, and this isn't a bad thing, but they're more interested right now in the social justice uh, uh, initiatives that they're going to take, including having Black Lives Matter on the basketball court. Yes, And I I wanted to ask you, do you think that's because the NBA was the first sport to really deal with positive tests with Rudy Gobert and then Donovan Mitchell got it? And so not that the fear factor is not there, but it's been reality for the NBA for months now that some of the players within their league have tested positive and they are aware of what's been happening. I think that's a great and valid point. And I also think that Adam Silver and the league were further ahead in terms of their individualized testing for the players. MLB came up with their idea and they've turned one of their drug testing facilities in Utah into a COVID-19 testing facility. I think on that day that Rudy Gobert tested positive, the NBA said, oh, we better get something going here that mm-hmm. allows our players to feel comfortable about playing. So let's get a test in place. I have to believe that the NBA, A, educated their players, and B, had a comfortable testing process in place before anybody was going back to play. So they can focus on social injustice and the things that... Kyrie Irving was talking to players Mm -hmm. about before deciding to or to not go to the bubble. So this was something that was very important to the collective group of players. And it's nice to know that they expressed that concern to Adam Silver and to the powers that be at the NBA and that they found a solution. Well, and you look at the big guy and you look at the ESPYs a few years ago. You look at that group with LeBron, Dwayne, Wade, Chris Paul and... It was a banana boat crew, wasn't it, that came up? Carmella. Yeah, I, I believe so. And made that statement at the ESPY Awards. Mm-hmm. And it was it was powerful then. I do think that the NBA people, the NBA players, have probably had a, a more educated view of social injustice as a group than the NFL. Not to say that Colin Kaepernick and the, uh, the NFL guys didn't, and Malcolm Jenkins and those guys. But I, I just think that the NBA guys probably, for one reason or another, were just more enlightened earlier than other leagues. And the players also feel comfortable and have felt comfortable going to the league and voicing their opinions. If you're an NFL player and you go to the league and say, I'm on Colin Kaepernick's side, what's the NFL going to do to you, right? Maybe not play. Yeah, yeah, right. That has happened. And Eric Reed was blackballed for a long time, too. If the NBA 
especially because you have LeBron, goes to the the league, they say, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's see what we can do to uh, advance your cause because we're partners. Mm-hmm. And it just is is really positive to see them continue this movement in that way because when I heard them initially saying, hey, well, they might not play in this bubble because they do not want to disrupt the movement. There's been so much progress happening with Black Lives Matter and it feels like the consciousness of America has finally zeroed in on this cause and I said I was really nervous if that would happen because I think that a lot of people would be angry because they've been dying for basketball, they've been dying for team sports to come back and they would use teams not returning as a negative connotation towards Black Lives Matter or towards the movement. Mm -hmm. So I was happy that they were able to find constructive ways to highlight this cause, but through basketball, because I think having it in that platform within the confines of basketball is going to be way much more, way more effective and powerful for them. And uh, as the MLB and NBA come back. The NHL is on the runway. Ryan O'Reilly skating yesterday at the Centene Community Ice Center, getting ready for the Blues' return to action. And as they try to advance and win another Stanley Cup, uh, Ryan O'Reilly did an interview with Chris Kerber on uh, the Blues' website. And uh, the NHL announced that 26 players have tested positive for COVID-19 since the start of Phase 2 workouts. But again, leagues feel like they have a better handle on the the virus, and they feel like they can move forward without any problems at all. And that was out of a few thousand, right? Yeah. Which, I again, I assumed that you were going to get a handful of positive tests, but if that's the number, the official number, I was pleasantly surprised it wasn't more. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, the NFL is undergoing virtual training and getting ready for training camp. Can they have a good product if they don't practice? That's next on 101 ESPN. Support for Character and Smallman is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, we know we've all heard stories about a funny or painful manscaping situation, but that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created— and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery's gonna last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features, the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Now, if you're listening to me speak right now, I actually want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. And here's how you're going to do it. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS, that's S-M-A-L-L-S, at manscaped.com. One more time, 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS at manscaped.com. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
ESPN and Michelle. I have thought since the NFL lockout in 2011 that teams used the first month of the regular season as an extension of training camp. And I've I've thought, and granted, we it looked like training camp all the time when you had the St. Louis Rams, but <laughs> I, I thought that most of the league had to use. The, the first part of the season as training camp because coaches didn't have access to players anymore. And now there are no OTAs. You might have a part of training camp that's virtual on Zoom meetings. And I, I know that they say the game is mental, but I can't imagine that we're going to see quality football. We're going to see football that you can bet on. We're going to see football, but I can't imagine that we're going to see quality football for a really long time once the NFL gets into their regular season. Yeah, the game is, a, a lot of it is mental, but it's also a lot physical, right? And you, when you would go, approach training camp, you always had those veteran guys who would show up and they wouldn't go as hard or they would show up at a certain time and say, hey, I've done this for X amount of years. I know how to get my body ready. I don't need to do it the same way. Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk. But what percentage of these teams are those veteran guys, those leaders that have done this for this long and that know that they can show up maybe without the typical construct of a training camp and be ready to go? I, I would venture to guess on a normal team, it's what, at least six percent younger guys mm-hmm. or guys at you, least at least that you would need to be be there following these instructions practicing a certain way getting their bodies ready a certain way and think about people how many people are integrated into a system Lamar Jackson is in his third year and yeah he knows what they're doing there but is he the guy that can really and he has to his credit taken charge there and knows what they're trying to do but let's take a look at brady does brady really know what uh bruce arians is doing in tampa uh does a guy like garoppolo who started some like 20 games for the 49ers is he really the guy to run a practice without coaches I don't know. Jim Harbaugh joined 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore uh, last week and talked about the idea of trying to adapt to what coaches have to deal with for the 2020 season. I'm not worrying about it. I can tell you that. We right. have a plan. We, 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 our practice schedules are built. Our, our concept periods are, are built. Um, you know, Our time on task and all the different walkthroughs that we do is all, is all built. That's something we do all through the spring. And then we'll adjust. You know, We'll adapt if we have fewer practices or fewer games or, or whatever, you know, we'll just, we'll adapt. And we've guys got to make wise decisions about what we're actually going to be actually capable of preparing to the level that we can be successful at executing it. That's the execution is the key at the highest level. And what we're able to do, you know, within the time that we're allotted and all that, that that's going to, we got to be very wise about that. So are you going to be able to execute the way that you want to? Can you be the real Baltimore Ravens if you don't have an opportunity to take reps? It's going to be very difficult to get up to speed. And when you mentioned Tom Brady, this is how important these workouts are, is that Tom Brady is conducting them in Florida right now. He's trying mm-hmm. to get up to speed. And if you're somebody like John Harbaugh and you're looking at Lamar Jackson and here's a guy that you want to make sure and spend this time with and make sure he's ready to go and then that's taken away from you, that's got to be really difficult. And Jackson, by the way, is doing the same thing with the Ravens players down in Florida that Tom Brady is doing with the Buccaneers players down in Florida. Another thing that teams have to deal with is social distancing how we're going to operate in the building and, and that's, that's what i was going to ask you know, <laughs> that was my well, next I mean, question <laughs> well, I want you, uh, nobody i'm gonna tell you what nobody knows and the experts yeah. don't know and you know everybody wants to cya it too so right uh, i've seen i've seen all the memos on that and to be quite honest with you it's impossible 
what they're asking us to do. Humanly impossible. So here, here you have one of the most established coaches in the league mm-hmm. saying that what they're asking us to do from a social distancing perspective, we we just can't do. You cannot practice and have football players be six feet apart from each other. And that's why I say the product is going to be bad because there's no way that you can pro- – unless – Something magical happens, a miracle happens by the time we start training camp at the end of July. How are you going to be in a situation where, where football players can practice? You, you're you not going to be. Think about the lines. Think yep. about a quarterback. It's, it's unrealistic to think that they're going to be able to practice the way that they need to. And you're right. If they can't, then that first quarter of the season is going to be a lot of teams getting up to yep. speed and figuring it out. Now, Harbaugh, just like all of us, has seen what Tom Brady is doing with the Buccaneers, and he's not thrilled with it. But as a coach, you don't want to hear that you're doing, you're, you're limiting your, 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 um, your operation as far as preparing your team, and then you hear that 10 other teams are, aren't paying attention to the rules, and, that, and then there's no... Uh, there's no consequence for that, you know, and then they have an advantage on you. That's what I don't want to see. So I just think it needs to be fair and it needs to be uh, reasonable. And I do believe that they'll find a way to do that. Oh, a Tom Brady team is not following the rules and there's no consequences. Shocked. <laughs> Shocked. It doesn't really matter what uniform he wears. That seems to be the trend with him. Yeah. But yeah, to John Harbaugh's point, if you're a head coach and you're getting these guidelines and you're saying, hey, this is a a pandemic. This is a virus that we need to be mindful of and I'm going to follow the rules to the letter of the law to protect my players knowing that me putting their health and safety first is going to put me at a competitive disadvantage and then I look around the league and I see other teams not following the same rules. I'm certainly going to question, okay, am I doing the right thing? What should I be doing? Why aren't they being punished? And that's why I think it gets really tricky too with different states having different rules and it seems like teams are kind of Mm -hmm. following rules based on the state and I think these leagues need to come up with a universal blanket approach, which I think a lot of them have been trying to do. But it just doesn't seem like everyone is going to comply 100%. And my opinion here is that everything that's happening plays totally into the hands of the Chiefs. They're a young veteran team. They didn't lose free agents. They've got an established quarterback that knows exactly what everybody needs to do. He's got all the same receivers back. He's got the same running backs back. Uh, they've got... The, the same group on defense that was ascending and learned the defensive system. They're one of the few teams in the league that doesn't have dramatic changes, and they're already the Super Bowl champions. With a great coach. Right. So uh, I think that they're, they benefit greatly. If Brady is still in New England, I, I'm going to give New England the benefit of the doubt. I can't with Cam Newton and uh, Jared Stidham trying to, to learn their offense. But there are a select few teams. And by the way, uh, I don't even think I can put San Francisco in that boat simply because... People in California have been so distanced from each other. Uh Everything they're doing, they they can't get their players together. Everything they're doing is virtual. And that's a real issue with a a team like San Francisco. They'll come back and hopefully they'll pick it up with the snap of a finger. But I do think because the Chiefs are in Missouri, they have an advantage over the 49ers in California. And if you're a head coach in in an opposing market, what are you going to do? What, honestly, what what is the answer if you're a head coach and you can't get your players together and you're in a state that has all these restrictions? What is the answer? And especially if you're somebody who respects the rules, like exactly. Harbaugh does. Exactly. Yeah, the, you're stuck. You're screwed. Basically. It's, it doesn't seem fair, but at least he's in the AFC North. 
and we know that Roethlisberger's elbow isn't going to hold up, and you don't have to worry about Cleveland or Cincinnati, so he's going to be fine. Joe but, Burrow, Randy, come on. Here's the thing. His people, yeah, come on. Yeah, Joe Burrow's going to change things. They're going to have to four wins this year. <laughs> but I'd hate to be a season ticket holder. And watch the slop that the NFL is going to put on the field. And that, by the way, I don't even know if fans are going to be in the stands. Yeah. But even if you're a fan of a team, if you're watching on TV, you're still going to be slop, see slop for half of a season. You've waited months for NFL football. And then the first few weeks look like preseason week yep, one. That's what it's going to be. <sighs> that's bad. And I know... America will still consume it. They'll gamble on it. Mm -hmm. It won't change the way that we consume the product, but that is going to be rough. It's going to be rough to watch. Gambling and fantasy football will be as big as ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, Companies like FanDuel will be awesome. They'll they'll have a great time. But just in terms of watching the the actual product that we've come to know and love of the NFL, the sport, not the, the business, it's not going to be the same. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the great Greg Amzinger, lead anchor for MLB Network, joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our favorite guest and one of our favorite people in the world is Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. He is, of course, a St. Louisan. He is a product of the Lindenwood University. He is an unabashed, avowed Cardinal fan, and it's always good to talk to Greg. How are you this morning, sir? Oh, Randy, Michelle, I'm excited to chat with the two of you. Uh, I, I need my St. Louis fix. Yes, I am I'm born and raised in St. Louis. and uh, it, it, In a time where there are so many crazy things going on all over the country, all over the world, every time I talk to my friends from St. Louis, it puts me in a very settled place. I'm, I'm glad to know that, and you'll be happy to know that we have typical late June unsettled weather. It is 7.30 in the morning in St. Louis, and it looks like it's about midnight. <laughs> yep. That's the, that's the great part of St. Louis, man. When you're outside playing, you're like, come on, man, let's have a play date, Mom. Uh, can Billy come over and play? Well, the weather forecast, oh, Mom, come on. Those guys are never right anyway. And now you're like in a bunker, you know, hiding from a tornado. But don't worry, because 30 minutes after it passes, it's the most beautiful day ever. And then Billy can finally come over and play. So that's just the way it is in St. Louis. No, Greg, you know, once it passes, it's going to be 95 and humid. It's not going to be a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the sweat, man. The stickiness. It's just it's summer in St. Louis. So one of these days, it was a. I, I was an usher at the ballpark. It was July or August of 1981, and you know Don Thompson, the guard in front as you walk into the Cardinal Clubhouse. Yes, uh, of course I know. Don's awesome. He's great, and he great was a guy. school teacher. So I guess it was later. It must have been September, and we have one of those classic 105 degree days, and I'm sitting down in the. Cardinal dugout or in the Cardinal bullpen. He, Don worked the bullpen when he wasn't working. 
when he was at school, I would take over because I was the first base uh, right dugout guard. So I'm down in the bullpen, and Bob Sykes and I are the only guys down there. And Sykes says, you ever chew? I said, no. He said, you want to? I said, yeah, sure. So as a Costello usher, I'm wearing a, uh, a white shirt with a black tie, blue pants with a gold stripe down the side, big black heavy weatherproof shoes because the turf is so hot. It's 140 degrees on the turf. And oh, yeah. so... Sykes says, here, just it's like the commercial says, just take a big chunk and put it between your cheek and your gum. I said, okay, sure. He said, now, don't swallow. I said, okay, no problem. So two outs in an inning. I put it between my cheek and my gum, and all the spit starts fill, filling up in my mouth. And I spit. And uh, so the, the inning ends, and it's really hot, and all of a sudden... The juice is filling up my mouth, and I can't do anything but swallow. And I have to stand up after the third out is made and look into the crowd, and I've swallowed tobacco juice, and my head is spinning. I'm dizzy. It's 140 degrees, and I'm dribbling tobacco juice down the front of my white shirt. That is my first experience ever chewing tobacco, and my last experience ever chewing tobacco. Thanks uh, to Bob. It Frank. should be your last. That's a, that's a horrible tobacco story. It's like, you know what? It was actually a blessing, probably, because of it. it, it <laughs> You guaranteed that you'd never do it again. So that's a good thing. Yeah. I, um, I, after the in, oh. half inning ends, I stumble back to the bench, and Sykes is laughing uproariously. And he said, I told you not to swallow. <laughs> uh, did you vomit later? Because that stuff's good. That's potent. It, it is. And fortunately, I did not throw up. <laughs> I, I, I felt like I was going to, but I was able to compose myself. You know, I love what we're talking about right now because this is what friends do. They kind of talk about nothing, but it's highly entertaining. I got to tell you that that heat from St. Louis has helped me in my in my broadcasting career. I'm not even joking. People wonder all the time if you see me in Cooperstown, right? And our show is outside, and it could be a hundred degrees. You never know what you're going to get. I, I'm in a full suit outside, no matter what. When I go to work, when I leave the house, it could be a hundred degrees. I walk to the car in my suit. I never take my jacket off ever. Do I take my jacket off people wonder why what is wrong with you and what i realized going to first communions going to graduations going to weddings in st louis is when you take your jacket off and then you have to put it back on you melt like you sweat through it all so the only way you can get acclimated and this is what the heat of st louis taught me is you just gotta leave it on and don't ever take it off. And, and, and that is why I don't sweat in TV. And it's all because of the heat of St. Louis that taught me that lesson. Life lessons. That's a veteran play, Greg. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> it looks weird at first. People think I'm suffering. But I'm really not. I'm just I'm handling it. I'm managing the heat. Well, Greg, let's talk a little baseball. Randy and I played a cut from Buster Olney. I believe he was on with a weekend show on ESPN Radio, and they asked him what percentage he thought the Major League Baseball season would would start and continue. And he basically said 5% and or 0%. So now that we have players reporting and we know some players are testing positive, where's your confidence level that we're actually going to get to games and that we're going to finish the season? Uh, it all comes down to the way this looks during these intra-squad scrimmages, which they're going to have plenty of because they're not going to be playing a ton of other clubs at their home venues because of travel limitations. You're going to see guys test positive, how they react to it, how teams are open to continuing to step on the gas pedal remains to be seen. Obviously, there is a carrot that everyone's chasing here, uh, and that's money. You, you, know, you don't want the whole season go away. 
postseason is the really huge carrot in this sequence. They want that seven hundred plus million dollars in TV revenue, and, and they're trying to get close to it. I think what you're going to find is the number of, of players that test positive. We're already seeing guys opting out, choosing not to play this year, but that's really not going to hinder their plans all that much. But the the number of players that test positive and what you're that I think will be the determining factor, which I think Buster's probably talking about here, is one team being decimated by it. One team losing four or five starting position players. Right? Like if something like that were to happen where the pandemic now makes the playing field uneven, severely uneven, I think they're going to have to go back to square one and talk this thing through. Uh, that is the X factor here, is when a team is completely hindered by this, by this COVID-19, and now they're not, then they're not with the same opportunity that they had before. So, you know, they've got plans in place, and there's protocol, health and safety protocol, and they're going to quarantine players, and they're going to continue to test and check temperatures and all that kind of stuff. But, man, this is the unknown, uncharted waters right here. So I'm, I'm going to be a bit more optimistic than Buster. I think that they we will get to the opening day, quote unquote. Um, but we got to keep our fingers crossed. Guys are going to test positive, but we got to keep our fingers crossed that one team doesn't have a bunch of guys on that pandemic injured list. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. And Greg, last week we talked on the show uh, about Dylan Carlson. You just used the term X factor. If the Cardinals, uh, leaving Carlson out of the mix, if the Cardinals are to succeed in 2020 in the shortened season, the X factor is. <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's kind of connected to him. If Matt Carpenter can be the everyday DH for the St. Louis Cardinals and find it again. When I heard the universal DH was going to take place in 2020, uh, there were a couple teams that immediately jumped to the front of my mind. New York Mets, Ioannis Espinosa, Chicago Cubs, Kyle Schwarber. And then immediately, St. Louis Cardinals, Matt Carpenter. Because, look, he was never a, a severe liability defensively, but he was never – it was never his strength. And he was trying to figure it out. I had conversations with Mike Matheny when he was the skipper of the Redbirds, and he said, look, I don't want to mess with him too much. And messing with Matt Carpenter is making him play different positions. And, and, and that was his stress. The guy can hit. Uh, but, man, what position are you going to put this guy at? So I think if, if he can find it again, and, and, and when Matt Carpenter finds it, he's the best hitter on the team. If you can just tell him, don't think about defense. I know everybody, the in vogue thing is to have this, you know, roving DH role where everybody, you know, this is kind of like a half day off. That is such BS to me. I'm sorry. You talk to enough players, and their at bats are their life. It's not a half day off. Their performance is based on how they hit today, okay? So it's, it, psychologically, it's not. So you're playing or you're not. I think Matt Carper needs to just be a full-time DH. If he can do that, do it well, and actually become a force once again, and a lot of people think that's ever going to happen, his best baseball is in the rearview mirror, but he's got such a simple stroke, simple pass at the baseball. His swing ages well. If he can find it, the other young players are all trending in the right direction. If you got a guy that you went into the season thinking is a liability and he's going to keep playing time away from Tommy Edmond or maybe a Dylan Carlson because there's just you know, not enough seats in the game of musical chairs, I think he could be the guy that kind of puts it over the top because the starting pitch is going to be rock solid. The bullpen's exciting. The, the position players with Dylan Carlson are right now on the horizon, young and really talented, but Matt Carpenter is the X factor to really separate 
the Cardinals from, dare I say, the second-best team in this division, the Reds. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree. Greg, you mentioned starting pitching. Speaking of that, what are your thoughts on a six-man rotation? How do you think that the Cardinals and other teams are really going to construct the way they use these pitchers? Uh, they're not going to use them for a, a long period of time. Uh, if Jack Flaherty goes into the eighth inning in any game outside of the last two weeks of the season, I'll be shocked. Uh, You've you got to manage these guys during a sprint. Um, I know you want to win every single game. I totally understand that. But the sense that I'm getting from a lot of these GMs is, you know, look, we understand what we're up against. We understand what this season really means. Not saying, like, you know, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. But they're looking at this for the long haul of their profession. I'll summarize it this way. No GM is going to get fired for their performance in the 2020 season. Not one. I do not believe that will happen. Everyone knows this is a mulligan year. Even though we are going to hopefully crown a World Series champion and and celebrate a parade after, after the World Series, no one's looking at it from that perspective. So... I think everyone understands this is unique, and they're going to make sure everybody gets through it healthy. Don't injure your best young studs because you're trying to win it all in 2020, and this is your only shot. Because everyone knows what Buster only mentioned, the chances of this thing actually getting to the postseason, you know, slim. For real. So I, I, I see a six-man rotation as a way to curb the enthusiasm of a lot of these young pitchers who want to come out and make a name for themselves or continue to make a name for themselves in 2020. You're not going to see lengthy pitching outings. And, and constructing it is, is this is where the teams that have starting pitching depth are going to rise to the top. Uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays have a, a ton of young talent. The San Diego Padres have a ton of young talent. And all of these young pitchers are going to be performing in the big leagues. They're not going to be going deep, but they're going to be there. And you're going to see teams like that have a great run in 2020. One of the reasons that we all love baseball is because of the romance and the history of the sport. And this year we're celebrating the 100th year anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And Greg, two of my favorite interviews ever. I got a, uh, an opportunity to interview both Cool Papa Bell and Buck O'Neill. I spent an hour with Buck O'Neill before he passed away. And it was just an unbelievably educational hour for me. I'm really glad to see that it's not just former presidents and uh, ex-players that are honoring the 100-year anniversary of the Negro Leagues, that MLB has taken it upon themselves and shown the initiative to honor those guys. It's great. You know, I was on MLB Tonight yesterday with Carlos Peña and Harold Reynolds, one of our guests was Bob uh, Kendrick, who's the uh, president of the Negro Leagues Museum, and it was his idea to do the tip of the cap initiative to, it's really a way for people to go and tip your cap to all of these incredibly talented players and never got a chance to play Major League Baseball. Never got a chance and until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. And when you think back on it, I've been to the Negro Leagues Museum and it's incredible to see images of all of these guys, physical specimens, who who didn't get a chance. They didn't get a chance to step on the field with the legends that we're used to talking about today. So, you know, what would have been? And, uh, you know, look, man, you're only as strong as your leader. And Bob Kendrick is the most passionate, um, innovative, energetic leader for that museum. And, you know, he was humbled interviewing him yesterday that, you know, four living presidents took part in this. Um, all of these incredible players 
uh, choreographed this tip of the cap where they're throwing the cap off the screen and the next guy's catching it. Like, there was a lot of logistics that went into that. And um, I think it means a lot to him that, that people understand the value, the importance. And this year, 2020, celebrating 100 years uh, of the Negro Leagues, it's more important now than ever. Because think about it, they had so many things planned inside that museum to celebrate uh, the 100th birthday and, and to have the pandemic come and now all of it's on the back burner. What a blessing that this turned out the way it did, the Tip Your Cap initiative. And if you haven't seen it, you should Google it and take part in it. We did it yesterday at the end of our interview. We kind of surprised Bob by putting on caps. Well, you know, they took his shot full and this is his last response in the interview. And I said to him, hey, you know, everyone's tipping the cap to the Negro Leagues and to all the, the players that never got a shot. But, man, can we just tip our – and we came on camera. We saw all four of us. We, the three of us were wearing caps. Yes, I actually put a, a baseball cap on cap my hair. Glorious hair. I know. Can you believe that? Um, but it was a cardinal cap, and I, we all tipped our cap to Bob. And because uh, this stuff like this, these these are the acts that, that we need more of in this country where people are just mm-hmm. uniting. And, uh, and that's definitely what the Tip the Cap initiative did. You always bring it, sir. Thank you very much for the time. We do appreciate it. You're the best, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. I'm just going to continue to think about Randy in 1981 with tobacco spit on his white polo. That's going to get me through the day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. See you, guys. See you, Greg. Take care. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. He is awesome. It is amazing you didn't throw up, Randy. I I held it in. I I did have a a dribble down my chin and down my shirt, but I was able to go sit down, and I was sweating, obviously, quite profusely. Yeah. Uh, But I was, and Sykesy did, I think, give me a towel, and I was able to to towel off, but I didn't throw up. Yeah, pretty good. I picture a young Randy character looking like the guys in the Sandlot. Yeah, the fluffy hair and everything, yeah. But remember when they ate the tobacco on the roller coaster and they were sweating and throwing up? This is how I envisioned you, Randy. (laughs) Sweating, yeah, and dribbling, but I did not throw up, so I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm proud of you, too. That would have been pretty ugly. Tough guy. (laughs) Next up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Good to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman. I'm 101 ESPN with Michelle, Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, and it is time for Tioli. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. And Tanner Hendrickson is here and has your take it or leave it for us. Tanner. So from the 636, the team with the best offense this year will have the advantage in the MLB season in 2020. Michelle, I'm going to leave that because, as we know, pitchers are always ahead of hitters, Mm -hmm. and good pitching is going to beat good hitting. I'm going to go with the team that can pitch. I'm going to go with the team that can pitch, too, with a caveat. The team with pitching depth, I'm going to give the advantage to. Right. Or just pitching that can stay healthy, and it seems unlikely, but for example, the Cubs with... Lester, Hendricks, Darvish, uh, Tyler Chatwood, and Quintana. And then they have Kimbrell at the back end, and they, they can mix and match. If none of those guys get hurt and they're able to keep their starting group together, I, I think that they have a chance to be really good. But the odds are that at least one of those guys is going to get injured, and they just don't have a ton of depth. 
So we just had Greg Amzinger on from the MLB Network, and he said something about what will MLB, what will the MLB do as a whole if one team is decimated by the COVID-19 virus? And it got me thinking about the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets had two players test positive, Spencer Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan, and then they announced they weren't going to Florida. KD's already not going to Florida. Kyrie's still on the fence about going to Florida. Four best players from the Nets, arguably. Take it or leave it, the Brooklyn Nets as a whole team will not go to Florida for this NBA restart plan. I'm going to leave it because they can sign replacement players and somebody's... Hey, all of those replacement players think they can play. Right. And they're going to go there and they're going to try to prove themselves and try to get an NBA contract next year. I'm going to leave it for that reason. And because I think these these teams want the TV time. They want the exposure. Mm-hmm. So even if some of your star players have tested positive or they're opting out, you're going to go there because you want the exposure during this time. Yep, but the group right now, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, as Tanner mentioned, Wilson Chandler, Nick Claxton, and now Spencer Dinwiddie, who apparently isn't going to go either. That's a pretty significant group. Well, if uh, they are going to kind of have a, a G League look to them. Yeah, they're for sure. <laughs> Well, one replacement player for the L.A. Lakers, they signed J.R. Smith officially yesterday. Take it or leave it, J.R. Smith will play a big role for the Lakers this postseason, and he doesn't go the wrong direction this time. Oh, there's two things there. I'm not convinced he won't go the wrong way. It could be a big negative role. Right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, he played a big role for Cleveland in ruining a championship for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he That's true. the big role. Take it or leave it. You're surprised LeBron has gotten over that. Oh, I I would take that if he has got. I can't imagine that he's gotten over that. But, I mean, they have a good enough relationship to where he, back. you know, LeBron's the the judge, jury, GM, star yeah. player, everything, whatever franchise he's in. So he's obviously over it enough to where he's happy that he's coming aboard. How can LeBron abide so many knuckleheads? Because he's got JaVale McGee, he's got J.R. Smith back, he's got um, uh, Rajon Rondo. There's a lot there. Yeah, they've they've got they brought somebody else in this year that uh, surprised me. Uh, I I think that J.R. Smith will play a role, but I don't think it'll be positive for the Lakers. So I'm going to I'm going to take it. I guess. I just know how competitive LeBron is, and how much he had put the team on his back so many times and that was difficult enough anyway than to not have your your teammate know what's going on in the game and it cost you a game mm-hmm. I, I'm just shocked that LeBron would ever forgive that me too by the way the, the guy that he, he takes a bad rap and he's really been good for them this year is Dwight Howard he's say. had some knucklehead moments in the past but mm-hmm. he's been really good for them this year mm-hmm. From the 314, take it or leave it. Tatum has a huge playoff run and helps the Celtics get to the NBA Finals. I'm going to take it. I think Jason Tatum is a star, and I want to see him go on this run again. So, yes, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, too, even though he hasn't had the opportunity because he evidently doesn't have that full court, uh, court the, the full court basketball court back in a building in his backyard like some NBA players do. He's young, he's athletic, and he can just uh, he can walk out of the house, out of quarantine, and onto a court and be dominant. So I'm going to take it, too. And sure. we forgot Dion Waiters. Oh. So let's go through that list again. Okay, you've got JaVale McGee. Okay. You've got Rajon Rondo. Yep. You've got J.R. Smith. You've got Waiters. And if you want to include uh, Dwight Howard in there, you can do that, too. I think we need to include yeah. Dwight Howard. So you got five knuckleheads out of 12. 
Man. Okay, take it or leave it. If LeBron wins this championship, it's his best work ever. Oh, totally take it. Yeah. Because you have to keep that group in line, and they're going to be confined together. That is a recipe for a brawl mm-hmm. in one of the Disney World hotels. So I'm totally going to take that. I was going to say, if you can just keep those guys in the bubble itself would be a great accomplishment for a Great call. Take it or leave it. Dion Waiters shows up on time, even though there's people there to wake him up and they know exactly where he is. I'm going to take it just because they're in the bubble. Okay. So he's not going to have that much room to roam. So I'm going to take it. Yeah. But I get your point. (laughs) And I probably should have left it. So yesterday while I was on my walk and I was checking my email, I saw what the date was, and I I realized I missed June 25th. And you may be thinking, well, what the heck's June 25th? I didn't miss a birthday. I'm not that bad a person. Uh, It's the halfway point to Christmas. So what I realized was usually I like to listen to Christmas music on that day. So I listened to a little Christmas music yesterday while I was working on today's show. Take it or leave it. I'm a little early, though. I'm going to leave that because you can never go wrong espousing the spirit of Christmas mm-hmm. and acting like it's Christmas time. So I'm going to leave it. I, I think that's a good thing. Christmas music brings joy. We're lacking in joy in our lives these days for the past couple months. If listening to Christmas music gets you in a good mood, go for it yep. by all means. And if you walk by a TV in my house, generally pretty much every day, but certainly uh, on the weekends, Q, there's a strong chance that QVC is going to be on and then, then there's a very strong chance that there's going to be a QVC box uh, that arrives on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh-huh. Well, this past weekend, they were doing Christmas and I was wondering why. And this explains it now uh-huh. because... Uh, the weekend was devoted to selling Christmas stuff. Well, there you go. So yesterday I saw an article, too, that Mike Tyson may have cost himself about $100 million for biting off a part of Evander Holyfield's ear in June of 1997. Take it or leave it. You would let someone bite off part of your ear for $100 million. Totally take it. And here's the other thing about Mike Tyson. Not only that $100 million, but Don King's daughter, while Tyson was in jail, reportedly embezzled about $350 million of Tyson's money. And Tyson basically just gave it away to Don King's daughter. So that's 450 that's almost half a billion dollars that combined with the ear and being in jail and having her take it away that he has lost. Take it or leave it, you're surprised that Mike Tyson has even earned that much money. I'm going to leave it. Man, he was the man in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. He got a little, Well, he, he was higher profile than Floyd Mayweather. Look how rich Floyd Mayweather. I would definitely let someone bite my ear off for $100 million. I wouldn't even think twice. I'd give him the other ear for free, just as a bonus. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Even it up. You get a Band-Aid and you're fine. $100 million? Would anyone say no to that? Do you really care about your earlobe that much that you wouldn't? Let someone bite it off for $100 million? Kim Kardashian wouldn't. I bet she would, Brandy. She's, Chris Jenner would force her to do it. Oh, and then she could just get more plastic surgery anyway. Yeah, they're all about that money. Yeah. And yeah, think about it. If I have $100 million, I can definitely have some sort of surgery where I could get a prosthetic yeah. lobe. I think that Evander has that. Yeah, see? It's easy. That's, a, that's the easiest take it or leave it we've ever gotten. If you if you would say no, Texas right now, 65780, and tell us why. Because I don't think anyone would turn that down. All right. Take it or leave it. Vladimir Tarasenko scores five or more goals in this year's playoffs. Last year, he had 11. Totally take. Yeah, that's that's a slam dunk. Slam dunk take. Yep. So, and, and obviously, that's going to be in, what, 24 games as the Blues rumble to the finals again. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you. Tanner with Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Next up, Michelle and I will bring you our fresh take. A little bit more about Ian Desmond next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And multiple bla- baseball players announced yesterday or last night that they are going to participate. Ryan Zimmerman, the original uh, Washington National, the only guy who's played in every year for the Nationals, has family issues, so he's not going to play due to COVID-19 uh, fears. Also, Joe Ross, a pitcher for the Nationals. Mike Leak, the former Cardinal of the Diamondbacks. And by the way, that'll save the Cardinals $1.3 million. But I thought, Michelle, the most interesting one was Ian Desmond, who had a nine-page Instagram post about what his life was like growing up and why he has decided he's not going to play this year. And it goes beyond having three kids and a pregnant wife and dealing with COVID-19. But he is a baseball player that has real cares about social justice. I, I, I was compelled by reading his Instagram post because it really if if you've never been sure about reading something that was from somebody's heart, this was 100% from the heart. It was and he brings up some great points about the youth of America and about education. It's not just him talking about how he feels which he he did but it was as well thought out and as poignant as I've seen an athlete statement I think since all this started. And I do think and, and He was very critical, and rightfully so, of what happens in a major league clubhouse. The sexism and the racism and the uh, just the, the general lack of decorum. And I do believe, and I don't know that this is something that you can ever change, that when you draft players when they're 17 or 18 years old and give them a lot of money, many times, not 100% of the time, but many times emotionally and from a maturity standpoint, they're never going to advance much beyond 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And you've got guys that are being paid a lot of money to play a game for a living and really don't have to grow up. And you remember working with Chris, who was really open about it, Chris Duncan, who said, I didn't even know how to write a check when I left baseball. He said, everything that I had to know was what time the bus arrived, because everything was done for him. And I think that probably leads to some of the lack of maturity in a major league clubhouse that Ian Desmond talks about in his piece. Sure. When your major league life is that way, you also have to look back down the road and think that you've been handled that way, most likely in college to some extent, and most likely on your traveling baseball teams to some extent, and in your youth baseball life to some extent. And it's kind of a crescendo that builds. And so while your intent is to not have this immaturity or to maybe act a certain way in the clubhouse you just kind of feel like you're untouchable and that everything is going to work out in some way because normally any issue that arises for you there's someone on hand to take care of it and so i i am not surprised that ian desmond would say this i'm, I'm kind of surprised he would say it in this forum yeah. 
but he's absolutely right. And I thought that there was a really cool thing, just from a baseball fan's perspective. He, he walked and thought a lot when he walked the fields that he played on as a youth in Sarasota. And he went and looked at this uh, one of the schedules that was hanging, and it was from a 2015 Cal Ripken League season. That was the last season. And then there was a banner from a travel league that was there a couple of years ago. But otherwise, the field hasn't been used. And he wraps up his Instagram post by saying, the COVID-19 pandemic has made this baseball season one that is a risk, and I'm not comfortable taking that. But that doesn't mean I'm leaving baseball behind for the year. I'll be right here at my old little league, and I'm working with everyone involved to make sure we get Sarasota Youth Baseball back on track. It's what I can do in the scheme of so much. So I am. So here's a guy who's saying that that not that baseball is doing a bad thing by being with uh, uh, reviving baseball in the inner city, but really taking a hands-on approach himself and saying he's going to do what he can to try to fix the problem that he sees, that there aren't enough young African-Americans playing the sport, that there aren't enough African-Americans that are in general manager positions or manager positions. So he's going to take it upon himself as a biracial man in America to try to get more young minorities, especially African-Americans, involved in his hometown. Respect to Ian Desmond because a lot of people want to talk about it. Not everybody wants to be about it. And this is a major move from him. And I have no doubt that he is going to make a big difference in his community. And hopefully he inspires other baseball players, maybe not on this level, but to figure out a way to tangibly enact change themselves. And I hope you hate to put that on the African-American baseball players. You you hate to say, okay, it's your responsibility to get more young African-American baseball players to play. It's not their responsibility. But we have a tendency as young people to hopefully emulate those that look like us. And I do think that in that regard, that hopefully he can get and some other players can follow along and get young players to play simply because their hero is a guy like Ian Desmond or Jack Flaherty or uh, whether it was CC Sabathia or Mookie Betts or whoever it might be, that those guys can get uh, young African-Americans involved in the sport. And my son was asking me last night, he was looking back at the mid-90s Cardinals with the outfield of Gant and Langford and Jordan and earlier you had Bernard Gilkey and then you had Ozzie at shortstop mm-hmm. and you had Terry Pendleton for a long time at third base. And it, it was a heavily African-American laden team. And now it's hard to find that many African-Americans that play the sport. And the sport itself has to be open-minded about it, and they have to be willing to spend money on those players because you can get young Latin players a lot cheaper. So you have to be willing to expand your talent pool by spending money Mm -hmm. to try to get the best athletes in there. And if you do, those are three guys, four guys, Bernard Gilkey here in town, Ron Gant, Brian Jordan, Ray Langford, Ozzie Smith is another, Terry Pendleton is another, that young people can look up to and see their careers and say, wow, I wish that I could be that guy. But it's got to be current players. Because right now, Ozzie goes to a grade school, an elementary school, and he has to bring along a videotape. Wow. Ozzie's last game was 1996. It's 2020. So young people, they have to watch a DVD of Ozzie playing to know what he did. So it it really is incumbent upon the African-American players of today to try to help out in that regard. Well, representation is very important. 
people will ask me, hey, did you always know that you want to get in sports talk radio? And I would say, honestly, I never considered it an option for me because I didn't see any women have that job. I never saw a woman really with a seat at the table. And now when young women reach out to me, I try to bring them in for tours. I try to really foster that relationship with them to say, hey, pull up a chair, sit next to me. Let's bring more women to the table. And so while you don't want to say, hey, to the African-American baseball players that are playing now, it's your responsibility. It's not their responsibility, but they should want to mm -hmm. pull up a seat at the table and tell these young kids, hey, baseball is a, a sport that you should be interested in. And I also think in addition to representation, access matters. And I, I know that baseball has become very specialized with traveling teams and it's become very expensive to play baseball in, in a lot of situations. And so if, if a lot of players would figure out, a, I know Dexter Fowler did a camp in Mm -hmm. uh, North County, right? Right. Right. Like, figure out a way to, to not only sh highlight representation, but to get access to maybe kids who aren't as interested in baseball in different communities. By the way, who was the female sportscaster that made you think, I want to do that? Melissa Stark. Really? Monday Night Football. Yep. Mm -hmm. She was great. She was great. Is great. Still great. Yeah, yeah definitely. So that's your uh, fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth and talk to our friend, the voice of the Blues on FS Midwest, John Kelly. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Training camp number two for the resumption of this most unusual NHL season scheduled for July 10th. And Blues players are ramping up. Ryan O'Reilly was on the ice yesterday at Centene. We've seen Alex Petrangelo out on the ice. The players taking it upon themselves to be in condition. And Michelle and Randy go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, where the voice of the Blues on FS Midwest, John Kelly, is standing by. Good morning, John. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you guys doing today? Everything's great. And I love the fact that it's uh, it's kind of a slow burn for the Blues as they approach training camp. And because of the fact that there is so much trust in the players in the fact that they'll be ready, it's fun to see the way it's just kind of ascending towards camp for me. Yeah, you know, obviously they're they're mature, you know, players, and they know um, their individual bodies and and what they need to do to get ready. You know, Randy, as we know, in a, in a normal training camp, you know, it, it really lasts about twenty one days, and you you have you know seven eight preseason games, but this is obviously new territory and you know the camp will be a couple of weeks long and uh perhaps they'll play one preseason game and then get right into that round robin tournament um but you know as we've stated many times on your show randy th these players are in shape you know 12 months a year um even if they miss the playoffs and have a long summer you know they come back in camp and uh, skate for a week or two and <clears throat> they get right into it and, and they're fine so i, I have no doubts that um, conditioning wise and skating wise that, that a couple of weeks is fine. And, um, you know, we're still a few, um, weeks away from the start of, of camp. So, you know, the fact that they're already on the ice or at least, uh, a percentage of them is, is a good sign. And again, it's, it's individual and, and some players might feel they need more time on the ice than others. And, um, but I'm not concerned at all about their condition for sure. 
John, yesterday, Randy and I were talking about the playoffs, and we were talking about Pat Maroon and just the, the shade that he brought to the Blues last year. With him out of the fold, who do you think is a guy on this team that could step up and replace Pat Maroon's playoff production? Well, you know, what he did on, on that line with, with uh, Bozak and Robert Thomas, he was the guy that worked below the goal line and, and protected the puck and add the physicality to, to, to that particular threesome. Um, the Blues have not really replaced the likes of, of Pat Maroon with a, a player that size um, or, or has that skill set. Um, but, you know, I think the Blues feel that they're a deep team. They're a four-line team, and um, some of the younger players have come up and done a, a really good job. And, you know, maybe a guy like, like Sammy Blay would, would fit under that line, who who is a physical player and you know, can bang bodies and protect the puck, and he's got really good hands. So, um, you know, now that I think about it, maybe he would be the guy that that would fit on that line and and provide that particular dimension. John Kelly with us on uh, 101 ESPN, and J.K., Jeremy Rutherford had a piece about Justin Falk a couple of days ago, and Falk admitted, hey, I did not play as well as I can during the course of the regular season. He seems to me to be another guy with his skill set, and especially with his shot, that could do some damage during the playoffs. Well, the guy's been an all-star, Randy, and he's been a top player. He's performed very well in the power play in his career with Carolina, and, you know, I thought it was a very honest, enlightening article. And Justin, you know, manned up. And as you said, he admitted that he could have played better. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I thought, I think he played well at times. He, he was inconsistent. Um, but, you know, any time a player, and this probably doesn't hold true for every player, obviously. Uh, they're all different. But it's the first time in his career he had been traded. So he comes to a new group, a group that just happened to win a Stanley Cup, and then he's moved around on, on different pairings and, and has moved to the left side where he hasn't played a lot in his career. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unusual for him. So, but I think that, you know, what I've seen of him in his career and, and perhaps last year with the Blues or, or this year, I guess, um, that there's a major upside, and I, I think he will be more consistent um, the longer that he plays with the St. Louis Blues. John, what are your expectations, or should there be any expectations for Vladimir Tarasenko when he returns to the ice with the Blues? I think he'll be fine. I really do. Um, you know, timing-wise, uh, perhaps he could be off a bit. But, um, you know, let's be honest, all the players now have been off since at least March 10th um, because of the, the pause here. So, you know, timing-wise, a lot of players could be a little rusty in the first couple of games hopefully it won't be more than that because you know quite honestly you don't have a lot of time to find your game either individually as a team um but uh, vladimir just has world-class skills he's one of the best skaters on the blues uh i think that's overlooked as well is that he's a very powerful fast skater um and with his shot if he gets an opening or or, or gets in the clear, then there's a good chance he'll score. But I'm not concerned at all. Um, he did an interview last week with, with Chris Kerber and said the shoulder's fine. Um, he's ready to go. And, you know, quite honestly, he would have been ready to go um, in, in late March. So he was close to returning when, when the NHL season was disrupted. John, when we get back underway, the top four seeds obviously are going to be the Blues, the Avalanche, the Stars, and the Knights, and they'll play for the top four seeds. Is there a team that's outside of that top four 
that you look at and you say, man, they have a chance to not only upend the Blues, but they could be a Stanley Cup team. We, I think we all thought that about Winnipeg last year. They've undergone dramatic changes. But is there a team that you look at and say, that's a scary team in the West? Outside of the top well, four. Well, you know, I, really, Randy, I think that because we have never gone through something like this, you know, who knows if in a short series, um, in the playing round, a team gets hot and a goaltender gets hot. Um, you know, there are a lot of teams out there. Uh, you know, a team like Vancouver or, or Arizona, if their goaltending is healthy. That's what um, I, that's the team that I was thinking of right there was the, yeah. the Coyotes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Minnesota Wild were playing really well um, under interim coach Dean Evison, but you know, they have some goaltending issues. You know, Dubnik had really lost his number one job. Um, Edmonton is a team with, with their offense, with, with Mike David and Dreisaitl and, and, and the cast of characters they have. Uh, but to me, their goaltending isn't, you know, as, as dominant as, as some other teams. So I, I think there are obviously a, a lot of different clubs that could upset and, and, and who knows, could go deep. Um, but to me, the Jets are still a very good hockey team, even though their defense has been basically overhauled from last spring. Offensively, they are still as as deep as any team in the NHL. So, and and Hellebuck is a really good goaltender. He had a a great regular season this year. So that's a team, Randy, that I certainly would not really want to play in the first round. Um, who knows? Maybe the Blues will end up playing the Jets again. I don't know. Um, but that that's a team that could be very dangerous as well. J.K., always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and we'll talk again next week. Okay, thanks for having me. See you later. That is John Kelly in the Blues booth here on 101 ESPN. Going back to Arizona, and this was before they got Taylor Hall. On January 7th, they were 25-16-4. And, and just before that, Darcy Kemper, their goalie, had gotten hurt, and he was playing great. Mm-hmm. And he had come back just before we went into the, the quarantine. And, and they have enough good players on that team. You know, they added Phil Kessel. Uh, they, they've got a really solid defense. I think that's a team, well, like I said, if there was a team out of the eight that you say, okay, beforehand, you say they aren't going to win the Stanley Cup, but now you say they're scary, that's the team for me. Really? As you're recounting that, I saw in the jump yesterday, they're doing this thing that's previously on, kind of like how a TV show does where they catch you back up. Mm-hmm. How many people have forgotten what other teams have done leading up to this point? Oh, no doubt. We need to do that. We need to, just like you went through everything that Arizona mm-hmm. was doing, we need to do that for our listeners and for us, too, to get ready to go. Just kind of a condensed version of what teams were doing not only in the season, but leading up to this. See, we just came up with a show plan there right you there. Go. Right there. We're workshopping on the air. Yeah. And there are, I would think around the country, a lot of people that have no idea that the Blues did what they did without Vladimir Tarasenko. Absolutely. And that what you talk about X-Factors. We were talking about X-Factors with Greg Amzinger. That's maybe the biggest X-Factor in the entire NHL. You have a Stanley Cup champion team with an amazing coach who was already winning and then you're adding an all-world talent and 30-plus goal scorer in Vladimir Tarasenko. Pretty good. This is why when we talk about the Blues, I'm, I get nervous because I think I do not have one question about them. Other than the questions I think every team is facing and how are they going to adapt to all these new changes in this new world. 
But then I think the Blues are as mentally tough as any team I've ever covered. And that's the key. The mental toughness and the competitiveness, especially between the pipes. Because you won't find a more competitive goalie right now in the NHL. Maybe tied for first. Than Jordan Bennington. But... He was the key last year, and because he hates allowing goals, mm-hmm. even in practice, uh, he is going to be huge for the Blues. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And coming up, we've got a new participant in the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Listener, Listener, and in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Core, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 834, which means it is time for the fight. Tanner, will you please let us know what we're fighting for today? Well, today we are fighting for a gift card to Budweiser Brew House reopening soon at Ballpark Village, and we want to get you stocked up to be ready when they do. Sounds great. Our fighter this morning is Justin. Welcome into the show, Justin. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Michelle? I am doing well. You ready to take on Randy this morning? Let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll, Justin. Question number one. Cardinals catcher Yadier Molina only needs to play 17 more games to reach the 2,000 game mark. He is currently fourth in career games played as a Cardinal. Stan Musial is first, and Lou Brock is second. Who is third in career games as a Cardinal? Is it Enos Slaughter, Ozzie Smith, or Willie McGee? Uh, Let's do Willie McGee. Right, there are only four pitchers in Major League Baseball history to strike out more than 4,000 batters. Who was the last pitcher to accomplish this feat? Was it Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, or Roger Clemens? Ooh, uh, Randy... Uh, Roger Clemens. Question number three. Who was the first ever draft pick for the Washington Nationals? Was it Justin Maxwell, Ryan Zimmerman, or Ross Detweiler? Uh, Zimmerman. And last one here, Justin. A quarterback has won the NFL MVP for seven straight years. Who was the last running back to win the NFL MVP? Was it Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, or Marshall Falk? Oh, maybe Tomlinson. All right, Justin. Tanner is going (laughs) to get Randy. Uh, Justin, what's your favorite sport? Uh, Hockey. Oh, so of course we have no hockey questions on the fight for you. Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Justin, Randy is getting settled in. Randy, say good morning to Justin. Morning, Justin. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All right. Don't kick my butt too bad, huh? Uh, try not to. <laughs> the new intro, Randy, does say you are from the mean streets of Creepore. I am. This is authentic. I, yeah, that is that's uh, that is where I got my uh, rapping chops from. That's right. That's right. And so it's, it's something that I'm proud of. And I know that uh, when, for example, when I'm introduced, when I do a show in Brooklyn at uh, the, the Barclays Center. They say right. from the mean streets of Creve Corn and then right. I come out and do my show. You're such a nice guy, Randy, but people don't understand that you have that angry underbelly. Oh, I, well, <laughs> and that's why I do my rap. 
You know what? Baseball is back. We need to have a Randy Rapp come out <laughs> oh, soon. We will. Okay. We will. All right. Randy, question number one. Cardinals catcher Yadier Molina only needs to play 17 more games to reach the 2,000 game mark. He is currently fourth in career games played as a Cardinal. Stan Musial is first. Lou Brock is second. Who is third in career games as a Cardinal? I would go... Well, let's see. Those 11... Who's played more? So Brock, uh, Musial and Brock are 1-2. I'm going to go... Should I go Stan? Or not Stan, uh, Red. Um, Albert played 11 years. Red played probably, but he only played 154 game seasons from 41, 53. Then he came back and played more. Um, I'm thinking that it might be Red Sheen Deanst. I'll do the lifeline just in case. Is it Enos Slaughter, Ozzy Smith, or Willie McGee? Ooh, so I'm glad I didn't take Red. I completely left Ozzy out of there. Uh, and Ozzy played from 1982 to 1996. I am going to go with the Wizard. All right, Randy, there are only four pitchers in Major League Baseball history to strike out more than 4,000 batters. Mm-hmm. Who was the last pitcher to accomplish this feat? So you have um, you have Clemens, Johnson, Ryan, and Carlton. And I'm thinking, well, it, certainly Ryan was one. Carlton was two. Then Clemens. I'm going to go with the big unit being the last one. Randy, who was the first ever draft pick for the Washington Nationals? Ryan Zimmerman. And Randy, a quarterback has won the NFL MVP for seven straight years. Who was the last running back to win NFL MVP? This would have been 2012 or 13. I'm going to go Adrian Peterson. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner. And still champion, Randy Carragher! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Justin. Great effort, but Randy beat you 4-1. to one. Let's run through the answers here. Ozzie Smith is third in career games as a Cardinal. 1,990 games. The big unit, Randy Johnson, was the last pitcher to strike out more than 4,000 batters. The first ever draft pick for the Washington Nationals was Ryan Zimmerman. And the last running back to win NFL MVP was Adrian Peterson. That was in 2012 with the Minnesota Vikings. Justin, thanks so much for playing. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. We appreciate it. And we always enjoy your participation in the fight here at 830. And by the way, you can always try to get in and fight anytime between 7 o'clock and about 815. Just text the word fight to 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And we'd love to have you participate with Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. At your your own risk, are, Are you surprised that I knew the four guys that had struck out 4,000 people? Randy, I'm not surprised you know anything. Of course not. Roger Clemens got number 4,000 and win number 300. And Dan did the game. I think Dan's got the scorecard framed at home. But he he got strikeout number 4,000 in his 300th win against the Cardinals at Yankee Stadium. Wow. 
Yeah, so uh, quite a night, huh? We'll have to ask Dan about that. We will, yeah. That, that had to be one of the highlights, right? You would think so. If you're doing that kind of thing. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up earlier today, if you didn't hear Greg Amzinger, we asked him who the X Factor for the 2020 Cardinals will be. And we're going to give our opinions next, and we want you to give your opinions. You can send us a mic drop with the uh, Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Once we get playing for a 60-game season, who will be the X factor that makes the Cardinals a good team? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy and the Cardinals workouts for Summer Camp 2020 brought to you by Camping World. How about baseball doing that? How about that? <laughs> they're brilliant. And they're, I, I don't know if they're going to have patches on the jerseys this year or not, but anything to raise a buck. I don't care if they cover the whole jersey in patches. I'm not a big concerned guy about that either. People hate the idea of like a Nike logo being on the jersey. I don't care at all. If you call, if you do care, we, we can explain you can explain why you care i know it's not traditional but it's a way to make revenue you see in soccer want, all the time i don't want a nascar up but if they have one patch on their jersey i don't care i i honestly as long as the birds on the bat are preserved mm-hmm. i don't care what's on the sleeves or on the back or even like below on the lower back hmm. it doesn't bother me uh, I, I, I know a lot of people take yeah. great pride in the laundry so I, I understand right. why you would be against it. I, I, w- I just wouldn't want too much. I think that, that you can sleeves are fine. I'm, I'm with you there, and a patch like on the shoulder is fine. But I don't I don't want to overdo it. Anyway, the Cardinals do get Camping World uh, Camping World Summer Camp underway on Friday <laughs> with their see. Thank you're welcome, Camping World. There you go. Yeah. Shout out extra extra pub here. <laughs> uh, the first workout on Friday. They did have, if you haven't heard or seen, one player that did test positive for COVID-19 last night. We don't know who that player is, but he'll go into quarantine for a couple of days, has to test positive two times. But the Cardinals... Negative two times, right? Negative. I'm no. sorry. Yeah, I said positive. Thank you. Well, so, I just imagine people listening and be like, wait, he has to test positive, positive two times? Yeah, that yeah. would be... <laughs> What's he got to try to do? Go out and go to the Ozarks this weekend? Yeah, so you driving down to Florida or what? <laughs> so here's the deal. The Cardinals are going to be good. They won the division last year. Uh, they have a, a lot of talent on this team. And in this division, with the schedule they play, they should be at, at least in the hunt until we get to the end of the season, the, the last week of the season. So with that being the case, we asked Greg Amzinger this morning who the X factor is outside of Dylan Carlson, because he's probably not going to start the season with the team. But outside of Carlson, who is the X factor for the 2020 Cardinals? If Matt Carpenter can be the everyday DH for the St. Louis Cardinals and find it again. When I heard the Universal DH was going to take place in 2020, I, there were a couple teams that immediately jumped to the front of my mind. New York Mets, UNS Cespedes, Chicago Cubs, Kyle Schwarber, and then immediately St. Louis Cardinals, Matt Carpenter. So I think if, if he can find it again, and, and, and when Matt Carpenter finds it, he's the best hitter on the team. If you can just tell him, don't think about defense. Michelle, I want to add a qualifier there okay? because I think it's got to be Matt Carpenter, but not as a leadoff hitter. Cardinals are desperate for a middle of the lineup guy with the departure of Marcelo Zuna. And we don't know if Carlson is going to be that guy. We know Goldie is a middle of the lineup hitter, Mm -hmm. but really, and they're planning on DeYoung, I guess, being their number four hitter. 
but they need a two or three hitter. And I think Matt has to be a guy, and he's obviously experienced his greatest success as a leadoff hitter, but I think he's got to be a two, three, or four hitter to be that big of an X factor. Do you have confidence that he's going to find that success outside of the leadoff spot? I have confidence that he is. Okay, great. This is different and new. Because he really hasn't had tremendous success outside of the leadoff spot. But I think this is a different Matt Carpenter. I think he had a different offensive approach in in spring training. And now that we're into summer camp, I, I would think that if you could have him as a number three hitter and you could go lefty Wonger leading off, righty Goldie hitting second, lefty Marp hitting third, righty DeYoung hitting fourth, I like that number four if Carpenter is able to do... He doesn't even have to be the 2013 Carpenter. If he can be the 2014 Carpenter, I think that that would be a really good number three hitter. Just spray it all over the field, yeah, right? right. And set things up for DeYoung. And, heck, he can hit lefties. So if you go Wong and Carpenter 1-2 and then you let Carpenter or let Goldie and uh, DeYoung clean it up, that would be pretty good. What about you? Who's your X Factor? And we're talking entire team, Entire right? team. I keep circling back to one name, Randy, and that's Carlos Martinez. I think that pitching is going to be more important than ever. And you know, hopefully, what you're going to get out of Jack Flaherty. When you, when you look at the Cardinals rotation, you know what you can expect out of certain guys. Carlos Martinez is the biggest question mark. And I think we have seen a completely different look from Carlos this offseason. When he went to the winter warm-up, he was all business. He talked about how he was aware of the opportunity that he had at hand and that he was taking his training very seriously. When we spoke to Mike Maddox a couple weeks ago, he talked about how during quarantine he would check in with Carlos and Carlos looks great. Imagine if you've got Jack Flaherty and then you've got other guys who you know what they're going to give you. But then Carlos Martinez ascends to the role of a starting pitcher that that is the Carlos Martinez that we have seen glimpses of. But he gives you that for, for the entirety of this 2020 season. That could be a big X factor. If he is the 2015, 16, or 17 Carlos Martinez, you've got a front of the rotation guy. That gives you three, mm-hmm. because I'm including Hudson as okay. a front of the rotation guy. If you have Flaherty, Martinez, Hudson... At the front of your rotation, and Martinez is what he was in those years, you couldn't be more correct. We have a lot of input from you guys at uh, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and I love this one from the 309. This is a year where managers can make a bigger difference than other seasons. My X factor is Mike Schilt. That might be the best answer of all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Cardinals are at such a great advantage having Mike Schilt as their manager. Mike Schilt with depth of pitching mm-hmm. because we know that he can manage a bullpen and he's going to get the matchups against a lot of guys. Whitey Herzog was the best I ever saw at managing against another manager. And I think Mike Schilt has a lot of those same attributes and able just to outmanage another guy. So I never really got to see Whitey manage. Whitey was better at that than Tony LaRussa. Yeah, at, he was. At the strict matchup. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. He was unbelievable. And he was a lot more creative. He would put Daly or Worrell in right field so that he could preserve them and bring them back in. There was a game the Braves had a manager named Eddie Haas. And uh, Whitey worked it out so that he got the matchup he wanted. And Haas uh, wasted a player. And after the game, Haas was in his clubhouse and his hands were shaking at, at, at his desk because he'd been so outmanaged by Whitey and he knew it. Wow. Yeah. So it was fun. Those were the days. Uh, more from you. Uh, 
Reyes is the X Factor. That's from the 636, and Adam in St. Charles weighs in. He says, my true X Factor, where if this individual performs well to great, is Alex Reyes. You guys said strong pitching and pitching depth. I'm thinking that closing games will be a premium this year. Uh, so I'm going to go, if he stays healthy, with Reyes as a big X Factor. Alex Reyes could be a huge X Factor, depending on which role he has. Gosh, I, I hope we see him healthy. I hope we see him go out there and have command. But this is a guy that when people have seen him in spring trainings before he's gotten healthy, will be the first person that, that people say, he was electric. He took my mm-hmm. breath away. He is going to be a star. I cannot wait to see him put it together consistently for the Cardinals. And unfortunately, injuries or one thing or another have derailed him from actually being able to blossom into that player. But a shortened season could work into his advantage so much, into the Cardinals' advantage so much. They don't have to protect his innings, and they'll certainly protect him within games, but everybody's going to be protected within games. Sure. You're at the early part of the season. If, if I don't think there will be a point in the season where if you're coming out of the bullpen, you're going to throw more than three unless the pitcher gives you less than three. And with this rotation, you should get more than three on a regular basis. So the way I'm looking at it is... Whatever he does, whether it's as a starter, he's going to go three innings. Mm-hmm. Whether it's that piggyback guy, he'll go three. And then if anything after the sixth, he's going an inning, an inning, and a third. He's not going to be a guy that they're going to have to overwhelm. And because they're at the beginning going to have 17 and probably going to have 13 pitchers and eight relievers once they get to their regular roster size, I don't think there is a possibility of abusing a pitcher this year. The only negative with Reyes would be that they have to go with three hitters for him. And sometimes you might oh, not yeah. want to, but you have to. That's the only negative I see. What about this one, Randy? My X Factor is Paul DeYoung. No Ozuna, so he will have to be the cleanup hitter. The strikeouts will need to come down while still keeping the power numbers up. That's a great call because he's probably going to be the cleanup hitter. And in the first spring training, he was terrific. And he talked about what he needed to do, number one, to change mechanically, but also to change his body. That was with us, right? When he came on, was he? it might have been the fast lane. But he was preparing himself because he wore down at the end of last season. And so he was preparing himself to go 162. Again, with a 60-game season, you just put him out there every day, and hopefully he can have two months like he did the first two months last year. And that's a big-time X factor because he's a power hitter that can get on base and... It, regardless of who you have hitting third, if DeYoung is your number four hitter and is performing the way he did in the first two months last year, nobody wants to put that number three hitter on ahead of DeYoung just so that you can face him. Could we say the X Factor is the offense in general? Yes. Yeah. It, the, the offense was terrible in the NLCS. I think terrible. they'll admit that to you. But they did a lot of work, and they really were performing at a pretty good clip in the first spring training. If they can maintain that, I think they have a chance to be pretty good. How many games will it take if the bats are cold for you to panic, for you to jump on the panic bus? Because normally we have a lot of time to say, hey, give it give it to flag day. You know, we have yep. a lot of caveats that if the team starts out slow because we know it's a marathon, how quickly will you be revving up the panic bus this year? One week equals three weeks. So I'm going to say seven games. Seven games. Yeah. One game this this year is worth... Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But one game this year is worth 2.7. So you are talking... When you get to the eight or nine game mark, you're talking a month into the season for a regular season. So you have to look at it that way. And 
unfortunately, the Cardinals, they, they can't say, well, he looks good. He looks like, like when McGuire told us about Freeze, how he was, he looked yeah. like he was ready to take off. You can't take, you can't have faith in that. Unfortunately, you can't say, okay, we'll give him an extra week and hope what you have to, unless Mark McGuire's your hitting coach again, what you have to do is get a guy that you think has a chance to be productive in there. Again, Mike Schilt, huge X factor. Big time. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, today's big thing is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, today's June 30th. Last year on June 30th, your St. Louis Cardinals were 41 and 41. They were 500 team. Three games out of first in the division. They won that day against San Diego. But then they lost to fall to 41 and 42. And then they finally moved over over 500 for good on July 14th, 46 and 45. That was the last time, uh, actually 45 and 45, July 13th was the last time last year after 90 games that they saw 500. I can't wait until we're talking about wins and losses and standings again. I hope we aren't talking about 500 very often. Though. Yeah, no, me either. So we've been talking about the X factor for the Cardinals. And by the way, Big Al uses the uh, Air Comfort Service text line to point out that the virus is really the X factor, which it is. That's the best answer. Yeah. It really is. And uh, Big Al, thanks for texting and thanks for listening. But we're thinking that the virus is going to be overcome and the Cardinals are going to play. And that on July 23rd, we're thinking about the lineup that Mike Schilt needs to put out there. Now, we have this caveat because even though I know you desperately want Dylan Carlson to be in that opening day lineup. And I do too. But we're going to be real here. Okay. And he's not going to play for the first week of the season because the Cardinals can preserve a year of having him by not playing him and putting him on their 40-man roster for the mm-hmm. first week of the season. So he's not here. So here's your lineup. Okay. Wong leading off. All right, I'm into it. Goldie hitting second. Oh, Why do you want to put Goldie in the two-hole? Here's why. Because okay. I've got Carpenter hitting third. I don't want another team to be able to bring in a left-hander against my back-to-back left-handed hitters. And there are some dominant left-handed relievers in the National League. So I don't want the two left-handers to be able to face Wong and Carpenter back-to-back. If I have the 2014 Matt Carpenter, it doesn't matter who he's hitting against, I'll hit him second and Goldie third and DeYoung fourth. I think I'm going to flip-flop those. That's fine. And I I want Matt Carpenter to be the guy that gets on base. If you have the table set by Wong and Carpenter and Goldie and DeYoung Mm -hmm. cleaning up, that would be pretty solid. So you need to have the old Matt Carpenter who doesn't strike out and gets on base a lot. So I'm I'm either way. Either way, Goldie and Carpenter are my number two and three hitters. DeYoung is hitting fourth. Yep. Then I think you and I both agree on this. Tyler O'Neill hitting fifth on opening day. Put him in the five slot. Got a ton of power. And he's a guy, again, because he's got that power, you don't want to pitch around a hitter so that you can face him because he can hit, hit the ball out of the ballpark. I've got Yachty hitting sixth, mm-hmm. Fowler hitting seventh, Bader hitting eighth, and then the switch hitter Edmund is my second leadoff man playing third and hitting ninth. We are the same already, except for that 2-3 flip-flop there. I want Goldie batting third, and hopefully we get the Matt Carpenter that's going to get on base. And I, So I want him hitting second. 
Okay, so that's opening day. That's July 23rd, okay? Okay. July 30th, you can bring up Tyler O'Neill, or not, uh, you can bring up Dylan Carlson, and he can be a part of your team. Is it as simple as just plugging him in for Fowler in right field and hitting seventh the first days here? And you said this is a week later? Yes. I think it might be that simple for two reasons. First of all, these guys are going to be getting into a rhythm themselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of in favor of at least for a while keeping the lineup the same so people can start to, to feel good about themselves and get the ball rolling. And why not plug and play Carlson for Fowler and then see what he's doing? If he's hitting the cover off the ball, then move him up in the lineup. The better he hits, the more he moves up the lineup. There you go. And I am not completely married to Harrison Bader in center field. So if Bader gets off to a bad start, I've got Lane Thomas there, who I like a lot. Mm -hmm. And he could wind up being plugged in in the center field and hitting eighth. They're both right-handed hitters. They both have a lot of potential. Thomas might have more offensive upside. So if he winds up in center field and hitting eighth, I don't really have an issue with it. There's, hey, Thomas. There's a lot of good options on this Cardinals team and a lot of potential. It's just, will they be able to come to fruition in a shorter season? Yeah, and are they going to go farther down the line with Fowler and Carpenter than we would? Because, like I said last segment, I'm going to go a week with those guys. Problem is, you go 10 games and you start off 3-7 and seven because your offense isn't there. You could knock yourself out of the race in a hurry. Exactly. I hope both Marp and Fowler are amazing for the Cardinals. I hope this is a conversation we're not even having. However, this is why I've been a proponent of bringing up Dylan Carlson to start the season, if he's the best player available. I understand the business side of it, but to your point, one bad week and you could be out of this thing. You could really put mm -hmm. yourself in a hole. So I... I, I always think this, but I just think now more than ever, you need to play your best players. And one of, the reasons, one of the reasons that I like the long game that Bill DeWitt and John Mozeliak play is that that week, l let me move ahead here. We're going to have a CBA negotiation next year. I can almost guarantee you that rather than six years for baseball free agency, it's going to be five. So you would have Carlson for... A full service year of 2020, if you bring him up on opening day rather than a week later, 21, 22, 23, and 24. If you bring him up a week into the season, you have him for 20, the 60-game season, then you have him for 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. So that's a full season of baseball that you get out of him for giving up that one week. Uh, that's a trade I'm willing to make, to trade those seven games for the 162 that I hope I get in 2025. Yeah, Randy, it makes a lot of sense, okay? But I just want to see the best team play. And maybe I wouldn't feel that way about Carlson if I didn't feel like the Cardinals had played the contract too much in years past with various yep. players. That's a fair accusation because it's, they have. Mike yeah. Matheny admitted it, that they, they played contracts. But this isn't a year to do it. But also... This isn't a year that carries the legitimacy of a 162-game season. If we were starting opening day in April and Dylan Carlson had been the best player in spring training, the player that he, he showed himself to be, I would feel differently. Mm -hmm. But because it's not going to be two and a half weeks, it's going to be one week. Granted, it's worth 21 games. Mm -hmm. I know that. But... I don't feel like this 60-game season is as legitimate as a 162-game season. And that's why I'm willing to give up those seven games. Plus, realistically speaking, 
even as a fan, I, I want to see what the other guys can do. I, I want to see a week of Bader, O'Neill, yeah. Thomas. Sure. So, and I kind of know what Fowler is going to be if he is what he was last year. So, I don't think that you're getting over-penalized by taking an extra week to evaluate those guys that you have up here. Do you think teams are also saying, hey, I'm reluctant to start the clock anyway, but what if we started at a certain point and then the season gets derailed or Mm -hmm. someone on our team has COVID and then we have a bunch of people get COVID and then all of a sudden we're out of the race? That is a great point. Because you... Somebody like the Cardinals, they're going to be very cautious with Dylan Carlson's clock anyway. But so many unknown factors are lying in wait this season. And can you imagine if they started the clock and then they they lost thirty game season? Yes, thirty game season with no championship. Yeah, they're they're in a tricky spot there because imagine how the fan base would feel then. But again, this is not something that you can predict. Right, and by the way, the other point for the Cardinals. And this doesn't concern us, it concerns them, is not only does free agency play a role here, but so does arbitration. Because rather than being eligible for arbitration after the 2022 season, he'd get 2021, 22, because he gets a full year for this year. If they wait that week, then it's after the 2023 season. So that could be the difference of, depending on how good he is, that could be the difference of 8 or $9 million in the pocket of the, the owner. Wow. So that's one thing that, well, that's one of the things that they're looking at. Uh, from the 314, does playing the contract make less sense if you're paying, for instance, Fowler one-third of his salary? No, it doesn't. The fact that you're only playing one-third of a year does, I think, play a role here. But the Cardinals are looking at justifying $82.5 million. Yep. The, the, the biggest issue I have is trying to justify what you're paying guys. And that's why, hey, I'm, I'm all due respect, I'm done with Brett Cecil. I don't need to see Brett Cecil anymore. I know what he is. He's a $30.5 million. He, he, not a bad guy, but from their perspective, from a baseball perspective, he's a waste of money. Right? Yes. And I I don't need to try to justify that anymore. I have seen enough that I don't need to justify that. As much as we love Marp, great guy, and what's our we'll say it again. What's our biggest complaint about Marp? He works too hard. Yeah, he works too hard. But if he gets off to the first week that he had last year, if, if his first week is just like last year, don't play the contract. Play Tommy Edmond. Play the better player. That's all us as fans are asking for, is to play the group that gives you logically the best chance to win. And don't insult our intelligence by telling us that a guy who has way more upside in Dylan Carlson doesn't give you a better chance to win than Dexter Fowler does. I know in a front office, it's it's difficult because you're getting analytics and you're trying to process a lot of information on if and when a guy might develop if he's in, uh, you know, if he's got a cold streak or whatever. But I also think for a front office to just cut the losses and say, hey, we're going to move on from this and play this younger player. It's them admitting that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of people don't want to do that. Their jobs are predicated on them making good deals. So by saying, hey, you know what? We're just going to move on from Brett Cecil. You're saying we were wrong. And that's not a great business to be in if you're a general manager. And what I think a lot of teams and front offices need to understand is whether they move on 
from the player or not, the fans are still going to say that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so right. by trotting that player out there and watching them have a lack of production and have it be detrimental to the team, it's a double whammy. Yeah, no doubt. So just go ahead, take the ego bruise and say, hey, we got this one wrong. We're not, we're not going to have a 100% success rate here on players. And by the way, the Cardinals, I believe, are going to carry 17 pitchers to start. And I have, for among the guys that aren't going to be on that 17, I have Junior Fernandez ahead of Cecil. I have Cody Whitley ahead of Cecil. I have Johan Oviedo ahead of Cecil. And I have Jake Woodford ahead of Cecil. So right now, I have Cecil as the number 22 guy. And that doesn't even include the rest of the 60-man pool that uh, the, the Cardinals are going to have in Springfield. I was going to say, do you have anyone below Cecil? Not on, not, he is my last guy of the group that are going to be pitching here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. So, all due respect. You said with all due respect. <laughs> so it's a good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is uh, today's big thing, the Cardinal lineup for 2020. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is time for You're Killing Me Smalls with Michelle. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, if you were at a, uh, at a wildlife preserve or at a park and it had a sign suggesting that you say stay a certain amount of feet away from an animal, you would abide by that, right? I would, 100%. Even though you might want to get a photo for the gram or get closer to see the animal, you would think, this is probably put in here for my safety, no? I would think that, yes. Even if I wanted to get the photo, and even if maybe I wanted to interact on a closer, more intimate level with said animal, I would thoroughly respect the boundaries that have been set forth by the park. Okay, well, Randy, um, a 72-year-old woman from California did not pay mind to the signs. So she's a tourist that was at Yellowstone National Park. She saw the guidelines. Hey, stay about 25 feet away from bison because they can't attack. She approached one to within 10 feet multiple times to take a photo. How do you think this one ends? I think the bison probably ran her over. He gored her. Multiple goring wounds. She had to have park rangers uh, tend to her and then she was airlifted out of there. Is she all right? I believe so, Uh, yes. As far as we can tell, yes. Number one, I would think, especially knowing... For example, our friends at Trainwreck, who have such a fabulous bison burger, knowing that we use them for spectacular burgers, they probably don't like people that much. And they probably are suspicious that, hey, is this 72-year-old woman going to use me as a burger? So that's one part of this. Secondly, you don't know. Well, the sign is there, so you kind of do know what's going to happen if you get within... 10 feet. You're supposed to stay at least 25 feet away. Follow the rules. I always wonder what goes through people's minds as they get close to these animals. Yes, I know a bison. uh, I say this with all due respect. A little husky, Mm -hmm. right? So you're probably thinking, oh, maybe it won't run that fast. It's going to run that fast. It's a wild animal. You cannot outrun a bison. You're 72 years old. I can't outrun a bison. Maybe only Usain Bolt can outrun some of these animals. Don't get close to it. You cannot avoid it. And 
They are massive, especially if you're a 72-year-old woman. You have to understand, a a woman's got to understand her limitations. And even if the bison was a relatively slow bison, it still would outrun her and gore her. So, uh, bottom line, end of the day, she got what was coming. Randy, take it or leave it. Even if you got gored... Buy a bison. If you got close enough and got a sell a good selfie, you'd still post it online. As it was coming up behind me, totally. Yes, I would. If I got a good selfie and that thing was coming up behind me, ready to gore me, that would be an epic picture. You have to put that up. You have to, even if you're in a hospital bed and right. you got wounds all over. So this happened. <laughs> PSA: Don't get within ten feet of a bison. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, let's talk a little sports. So Jacoby Brissett was on the McCourty Twins podcast, and he was talking about the Patriots. And he said that the Patriots were the one team that he really didn't have a great experience with during the draft process, and he hoped the Patriots wouldn't draft him. He said, quote, I honestly did not want to be there. When I took my visit there, my pre-draft visit, I was like, hell no. If one team drafts me, it better not be them. And I'll never forget... Josh McDaniels called me on the phone on draft night, and I didn't even have his number saved. That's how bad it was. I didn't even have his number saved in my phone, and I was like, damn, man. He is a prescient young man, and he probably did well to get moved by that club. Because players there, as Lane Johnson from the Eagles said, he noted that in talking to Patriots players, they don't have fun. He, he said, I'd rather win one championship with the Eagles and have fun than win six with the Patriots and not have any fun. And some people are just predisposed to that personality. I think we are. I think we prefer to have fun than not have fun. Fortunately, we have fun and win. But I, I would not want to be in a situation where it's just going to be miserable. There's nothing. Nothing good that comes from being miserable every day. No, he he later goes on to say that once he got in the locker room, he learned a lot. And the veteran guys basically taught him when to have fun. Mm -hmm. And he says... Never. Just zero (laughs) percent. Just have no fun. But he said, quote... One of the things that I learned was how to be a pro, just how to be able to laugh in the locker room, decompress when we weren't doing football stuff. But when we were in football, everybody thinks it's like the military. We were locked and loaded, and there was no game we felt like, hey, this team might beat us. Yeah, I'm sure they feel that way because they've got all the advantages, all the advantages in New England. By the way, I'm thinking about that as you're reading that quote. Doesn't it make the length of time Gronkowski spent there all the more remarkable? Absolutely. And the fact that he was able to essentially retire from there. But just like Phil Jackson with Dennis Rodman, I think Belichick handled Gronk in a different way than he maybe handled a Tom Brady or a Jacoby Brissett or one of the McCourties, you know? And I don't know what Jacoby Brissett is going to be. Obviously, the Colts evaluated him as a guy that they would give up a second or third round pick for. But then they evaluated him after a year with them as a guy that they'd rather have a 39-year-old than. And Bill Belichick gets a lot of credit for his quarterback acumen. I don't know if it's that great. I really don't. I mean, we've talked about it before. He's had Hoyer. He's had Castle. He's had Brissett. Jimmy Garoppolo is a nice quarterback that they took in the second round. But his batting average is not nearly as great as 
people would lead themselves to believe. Or is his acumen that much higher because he's able to take quarterbacks who aren't Aaron Rodgers superstars and still put them in a system to be successful? No, I think what happened was he got really lucky. If he knew Brady was that good, he would have taken him in the first round. He got really lucky with Brady and thought, probably to himself, well, if I can get Brady in the sixth round, I can make any of these guys great. Well, no, there's a reason. Other teams are good, too, at taking quarterbacks. There's a reason that most of the guys that play in the Super Bowl are first-rounders. Mm-hmm. You're killing me, Small! All right, Randy, Colin Kaepernick is going to be the subject of a six-part series produced by Ava DuVernay. She did Selma, some other great films, on Netflix. It's going to be called Colin and Black and White, and it's going to explore Kaepernick's high school years and show the experience and insights that led him to be such an activist. I'm glad because he really is, it'll be a compelling story, and he's an interesting guy. Whether you love him or hate him, like, he's loaded up with tattoos. I remember him getting criticized for having all these tattoos when he was a young quarterback with the Niners before all of the social justice things came about. And his mom was in an interview, and she said, I can't believe people are criticizing my son for having all of these tattoos. All of them are about his Christianity. They were all Bible verses that he had uh, tattooed all over his body. So he's an interesting guy and obviously a thoughtful guy. And... For whatever shots you might want to take at him, and it, whatever you believe, you, you're allowed to believe it's a free country. But I will say this, he walked the walk because he didn't come back to the NFL and say, okay, I won't kneel anymore. He said he was going to contribute money and contributed millions of mm-hmm. dollars to social justice causes. And he did essentially allow his career to end based on his beliefs. He didn't come back and back down on his beliefs because he wanted to have a football career. So I I give him credit, and I think that's interesting. For sure. And Colin Kaepernick did choose to lead or make his point heard a lot of times by actions rather than words. Mm -hmm. He talked to the media, but it seems like over time, his interactions with the media were less and less. And that was some of the criticism that he faced as well as, hey, if you're going to do this and have everyone in the world talking about it, you need to speak out more. And he didn't. So I think it's going to be very interesting to have this series be a vehicle to tell his story because he hasn't really spoken out about a lot of different things. Yep. And lest anybody think that this is just, uh, and it is, it's a Colin Kaepernick a documentary that's coming out. But there was a documentary about Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman's at the absolute other end of the spectrum because Pat Tillman gave up his football career and a lot of money. Could have played here. The the Rams offered him a huge free agent contract. But he wound up going into the Army and serving his country that way. And again, because of principle, because of the way that he wanted to live his life and be perceived, he did that and gave up his career. Both in their own right, walked the walk. And that's all you can look for. And that's why I think it'll be interesting to see the Kaepernick piece. I'll watch it. I will too. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That is... You're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports has an interesting piece up about the lack of COVID-19 testing in the NCAA. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com has a great piece up wondering about what college football will do with COVID-19 testing. And he starts the piece by writing, eight weeks before the 2020 college football season kicks off, there is no uniform NCAA testing procedure in place for forthcoming fall practices and game weeks. And it'll be difficult for the NCAA to mandate an overarching national policy because of liability concerns. Dennis Dodd, native of the area, joins us now on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dennis, always good to hear your voice. How you doing, sir? I am great. Michelle, Randy, thanks for having me on. How are you guys? Everything's good. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the late date with which the NCA is trying to make things happen. I guess my first question, and we're going to go to the end here right at the beginning. Is there a logical way to make this happen for college football? Yeah, I mean, the experts I talk to say it is possible. It's just going to be hard. Um, you know, with the external forces, now the cases spiking up around the country, the fact that there is no, uh, you know, uniform testing going into the regular season. Um, you know, you would like to have the schools all on the same page, knowing that everybody's tested whatever it is, once twice a week, you know, change lineup cards on Friday night between the coaches. You know who is playing. Um, the ethics of not telling a coach, the opposing coach, your uh, starting quarterback is out because he tested positive. All that has to be worked out, and they say it is going to be worked out, but it's going to be hard. Dennis, I keep thinking about professional sports and how whether it's the NBA in a bubble scenario or the NHL, even baseball, while they'll have more freedom to move about and travel, it really is a wave of personal responsibility. These guys are going to have to take it upon themselves to be sure to be smart about all of this so they can protect themselves and their teammates. And when I think about college athletics, while I know a lot of these players are thinking about themselves and thinking about their teams... These are still college kids that are going to want to go out to bars and hang out with their friends. And I just wonder if if we're really being realistic when we think about the fact that these young players are probably not going to have that same wave of personal responsibility in regards to how it's going to affect the season. I think that's the biggest issue here. The the pros can negotiate their working conditions. They're living in a bubble. You can have a central location to play the game. NBA, we know. NHL is going to have to... um, a college, you can't. They're colleges. You know, there are thousands of colleges in the country. Uh, these kids are going to go out. They're going to party. They're going to go to bars. The outbreaks do at, in Kansas State, which both remain shut down right now for voluntary workouts, I believe, were, were an issue of them going out. Now, you can ask them. You can plead with them. You can tell them, you know, not to socialize or go out on dates or anything else. But it's, it's, it's going to be hard because of the age group. Now, again, the age group is, is much less susceptible to getting the virus than, than older age groups. But that's part of the point, only a micro part of the point. You can catch it. You can spread it. Your head coach, there's a, I counted 17 head coaches in FBS who are at least 60 years old. Uh, they can spread it then to their families. So it's not just that simple. There's an open-ended loop here where it could go get out. Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com with us on 101 ESPN. Uh, 
for those that aren't aware of it, the NCAA and the Power Five conferences are, conferences are essentially separate entities. So is there a move on the part of the Power Five teams, Dennis, to do their own setup testing-wise? Yes. They're, they are trying to get together just the Power Five conferences. You know, there are 10 SBS conferences, so Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, ACC, Pac-12. Those are 65 schools trying to get on the same page uh, that they have the, the you know the best uniform testing. Now, after the non-conference games, they're only going to be playing each other. So within those conferences, I think they can do it. But you do want uniform testing across the country, so you don't have you know outbreaks that I talked about. You know, is you know I think most of them right now, once they get in camp, are testing once a week. That's what I've been led to believe. But is that enough during the season? You know, I had one medical professional tell me that, you know, the, the object of this season shouldn't be necessarily to win. It should be to get 130 teams through the regular season as safely as you can. You know, God forbid mm-hmm. any hospitalizations or worse. I have a piece coming out today where a, uh, a computer science professor who does these sort of things, he does this modeling from Illinois, uh, Sheldon Jacobson says very very starkly that there will be three to seven buses here in FBS. And I, I, my mouth dropped open. I don't think this game could stand one, much less three to seven. No way. There's no way they could survive that. No, absolutely. They'd shut it down. They might shut it down after there's one hospitalization. I don't know. And I was stunned by one of the points in your piece, Dennis, and that is that an athletic director told you that there's a Power Five school with yeah. one ICU bed in town. This is these are colleges, big colleges that have, and there's one that only has one ICU bed in town. That's stunning to me. Yeah, and I had uh, I don't know what that is. I tried to get it from him so I could check it out. Uh, it's it's a bit hard to fathom that even in one of the really isolated college campuses that would be the case. But he swears it's true that there's one ICU bed. So yeah, that would be a problem if uh, if there was an outbreak. You're right, Dennis. You you also have a piece about two United States senators senators who are planning to submit a bill that prohibits schools from compelling athletes to sign these COVID waivers as a condition of their participation and. I understand why they would want to present this and why they would have concerns about players essentially feeling that they're forced uh, to sign away their rights. But from a university and a team standpoint, you also want to remove the liability from yourself here a little bit if, like we spoke about, players aren't going to comply the way that they should. So it just seems like there's kind of a a no-win situation here as far as that's concerned. Yeah, it's really questionable, Michelle, how much liability the schools can even remove by having these players sign these waivers or pledges or whatever you want to call them. Because, look, they can sign a waiver saying, I I promise not to go out and and adhere to all CDC health guidelines. And, you know, the the school makes a mistake in testing or somebody gets infected. And the school's liable. You know, it's nothing the kid did. Um, And so the the school will, will be liable. I mean, there is some liability for this. Somebody, as we talked about, somebody gets really, really bad, some people. So what these senators are saying, and it's Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, Cory Booker from New Jersey, are saying, no, don't put this on the kids. This should be a condition of playing. Um, and by the way, while you're at it, you can't take their scholarships away either. Now, I don't know if any school that has had these kids sign a waiver 
and threatened to take away their scholarships if they don't comply. They just said, we'll separate you from the team. But even that might be, you know, might be too much. So they're putting it out there and um, trying to get this bill passed really quick. Hey, Dennis, uh, one other thing from me, and this is in regards to Clemson that's had so many positive mm-hmm. tests. Are they doing a better job than other schools? Why, why have they had so many positive tests? I don't know that. I'll, I'll, I'll give them credit, though. Uh, they're being very transparent. You know, 30 tests, they're giving updates when they have more. I, I think just in the world of keeping the public informed and the people and the parents around the program informed, that's to be credited. That's laudable. I don't know why they're having so many. I, you know, I can't speculate. Did their players go out to a party? I don't know. But at least they're putting it out there because there's a lot of schools that have already said flat out that we're not even going to tell you the number. And I think Missouri's among them. I know Missouri, North Carolina, there are lots and lots more. Uh, but we're not even going to tell you the number because we don't have to. Well, that's, I think that's a public concern when you might have a problem and you're not telling the public how many problems you might have on your team, but that's another discussion for another time. But I'm not going to criticize Clemson. Um, you know, they've been out there with the information. Maybe we'll find out how it happened uh, down the line. But by then, I should mention, you know, we the only way we'll know the names of players is if they announce them themselves or some kind of reporting comes out about it because they are protected by HIPAA. It's that form you sign every time you go to the doctor. The doctor agrees not to share your record with anybody else, uh, except maybe your family, the people you allow. So you won't see individual names. You'll just see numbers. Dennis, one more question from me. As we're outlining all of the obstacles facing college football and getting a season up and running, do you still think that there is a scenario where we see fans in the stands? I'm, I'm getting further and further away from that just because of the, just the simple thing that like, stay separated hands wear a mask again how do you keep people from even if you have a percentage of fans in there and i'm working on a story about that where's the science coming from that you have fifty thousand people in the stands in the whole state you know that's half half full i i, I don't get it i mean maybe i'm missing something especially where we are now uh the dolphins president miami dolphins a few weeks ago put out a um, very detailed thing they've got fifteen thousand people in a sixty-five thousand Hard Rock Stadium with, uh, you know, you'd be told when you can go to the bathroom, be told when you can go to the concession stand. You know, that'll turn a lot of people off, but, you know, they, they are modeling for people in the stands. Again, because of the unique nature of college, I'm having a hard time seeing fans, but I'm sure there will be some. You know, I'm sure they, they for one, they want the revenue, and that's the overarching thing, Michelle, this whole thing. There's a quote in the story yesterday from a doctor who said, oh, we know I've been doing this. It's the economics. You know, if you wanted to be totally safe, you'd wait till next spring until till this thing dies down, or hopefully it dies down. So that's part of it. Well, and look at it from this perspective, Dennis. You've been at games in Tuscaloosa. If you tell an mm-hmm. Alabama fan, okay, you can go to the Bama game, but there's a chance that you might get the coronavirus, they're going to go to the game. Oh, absolutely. And that, well, I fully expect that there'll be something on the tickets when you get it that you know, by, by attending this game, you assume, you know, your health risk for, you know, COVID-19. There's already uh, all kinds of disclaimers on tickets now where, you know, you can't sue the, sue the, uh, the club if, uh, if you fall down or sustain some sort of injury at the game. Read those tickets sometimes. A lot of them are paperless now, but you can still read it. 
But it's, it'll, there'll be something on there like that, so it'll take the liability away from the school. Hey, it's great to hear your voice. Keep up the great work. We always love it, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. And I know you're excited about the Blues starting camp and defending their Stanley Cup. Yeah, let's hope we can get hockey to the finish line. That'd be great. Yeah. Dennis, take care. Have a great day. All right, guys. Thanks. See you. That's our friend Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com, and you can read his. He's probably the best college football writer in America. He's from our area. He's from the old side and uh, is in Kansas City now, but he's terrific and a huge St. Louis Blues fan. Just You just named three or four reasons why we love Dennis Dodd. <laughs> exactly. Same reasons we love Michelle Small. And Randy Carriker. <laughs> Except that we're not the best at at reporting on anything. No, that's true. We do have uh, the best play-by-play man in the business, Dan McLaughlin, with the Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. And we're going to cross over to Dan's show next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. with Danny Mac coming up at 10 o'clock here on 101 ESPN, and I will be joining Dan Oh, no, no you ruined it. Oh, sorry. It's supposed to be a surprise, I didn't Randy. know that. You totally ruined it, Randy. Oh, man. So I've been doing this show for, what, a couple months now? Yeah, May 4th. So, yeah, a couple months. So I, I'm not going to say I got a big Rolodex of people, because... I got a big Rolodex of people. Yeah. Anyway, so I've had some neat guests on, and I've not had one person say to me, I can't do it. I call up somebody. I say, hey, you know, would you mind giving me, you know, 10 or 15 minutes? I can I can tape it. We can do it live. You know, we, we whatever you want to do it. I, I just love to get you on, you know, for a few minutes. And it's, you know, it's not gotcha radio. Just kind of get to know you, whatever. Have fun with you. These are people I know, and they trust me. And. Uh, I trust you. It's fun. It's going to be great. Would you mind coming? Dan, whatever you need. Whatever you need. It'd be great. Great. Um, Randy, uh, we have done radio so many times over the years, whether I was very young, uh, working on baseball or hockey, and Randy's doing this, I'm doing it. Let's get together. We're going to do this. I mean, how many times have we done stuff together? Countless. Thousands. Thousands. Randy says, anytime you need me. Anytime. I'm in. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about two in the morning, Michelle. Four. Okay. What are hours? You need hours? Yeah. Randy, um, how about uh, how about tomorrow? Can't do it. That's what he said. Can't. Can't do it. I said really. Oh, first yeah. guy, first guy to deny me was Whoa. Randy, Mister Nice Guy. He big time deal. He totally. I said really. I said oh okay. Yeah, I got a haircut. Then I came in. This was last Friday, I think it was. It was. I said, "Oh, no, no problem. I, I, I get a guess. It's no big deal." I said, uh, "I said, oh, okay." And then he says, um, "Yeah, guess what's going on?" I said, "Oh, what do you got planned today?" Well, I was supposed to get my haircut, but it got canceled. Oh, Randy, yeah. Yeah. not a bad good ball. Yeah. Let's good uh, let's blame Paige at the uh, hair saloon for Ben in Chesterfield. I'm uh, gonna, I'll I'll out her. No, I'm not going to right under the bus. Right, I'm not totally. Gonna, nobody. Uh, no, I'm not going to blame. Page, and I'm not going to blame uh, Hair Saloon for Men, one of the great sponsors of Scoops with DannyMac.com. No, sir. Not doing it. Dan. <laughs> not doing it. I need to know how you felt, too. Not only did Randy big time you, it was for a haircut. Yeah. A haircut. And he could have pushed it back. Of course. 
And you think Joan at home, the, the Carrico household would have gone on without a hitch, whether or not he was there at 11 or at 11.15 or at 1 or at noon yes. or at 2. And and you know Randy probably had a bike ride. Yep. He probably was going to put ribs on the grill, yep. so he was marinating. You know he was probably working on something for a Sunday brunch yep. and probably a little golf mixed in and maybe a little, maybe a swim. Definitely. But couldn't fit in a segment. But anytime he needs you, or you need him, Dad, anytime. Oh, yeah. Him. Yeah. Anytime. How many times did I get ready down at the ballpark to do a game, and there's, oh, there's Randy, got to do the hit. Okay, hold on, Fox, I'm getting ready to do the Randy hit. One time I needed you, and you canceled on me. So I got you for an hour, and I'm looking forward to it. I am, too. Especially now, Sorry, right? Randy, I had to throw you under the bus. Paige, you're not under the bus. Randy's under the bus. Yeah. I was very surprised at how quickly Randy produced a fall girl here. Yeah. How about that? Because it was real. No. Fake news. Fake news. (laughs) Fake news, character. It's a good crossover. Yeah, it is. How many times does he get thrown under the bus? We never pick on Randy, ever. ever. Nobody ever does. No. I'm sure the texts are rolling in saying, protect Randy. Be nice to Randy. Yeah. Mr. Nice King. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Randy. So, get so thanks for coming up. Yeah. At least, I, it, at at least it. it wasn't, I'm washing my hair. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what uh, sometimes I'll tell uh, or ask our, our great director and one of my favorite people in the word, or world, producer, director, Tommy. Um, I'll say, hey, Tom, you want to go grab lunch or something or go get something to eat after a game? I'm washing my carpets. That's what he likes to tell me. <laughs> Tom, it's 1130 at night. I'm doing my hair. He has no hair. I'm curling. I've got some curlers out. He'll tell me that. So that's the way of his way of telling me I don't want to do anything with you. Have you ever let a guy down easy with that? With You're washing your hair or I've got something else going on or no, sorry? I don't think so. I think I might just... Just stop, know. stop just... answering their texts or be like, we're good here. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're know. good here. We're good here. Yeah. I, I said to myself, I, this one kind of took me back a little bit. This is a couple years ago. Um, it wasn't Instagram, but what, what's in a Snapchat? Mm-hmm. I said, hey, what, what do you guys do? on? I'm not on Snapchat. Um, and he said, uh, I said, what, what, what goes on on this Snapchat stuff? He goes, how do you think I'm supposed to meet a girl? That's what he said to me. <laughs> really? Yeah. How, do you think, how, how do you think I'm supposed to meet a girl, Dad? Okay. I didn't know. That's where they meet girls now. I guess. I don't know. Hmm. But I thought you would have to know the person to add them as a friend. Again, Michelle, this is way over my head. I don't know. He's got friends that are girls and maybe they, you know, connect. I don't know. Just you're going way too far on this. I don't know. We need to interview a kid and figure out how they communicate with each other now yeah. because it's all through Snapchat. It's filters. Well, everything and is through the internet, though. Yeah. It's for, for young kids, it's Snapchat. And then how old is it when they start using Tinder? 18, 19? Some, or Bumble? Whatever. What's that? When you put in your stuff and then you just kind of, you know. Swipe, yeah. Yeah, dating app. Oh, okay. It's a dating app. That's yeah. how, that's how okay. Barnes met his girlfriend, though. That's weird. My wife was on that the other night. <laughs> I need to ask her about that. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> This is going down a wrong path. Or is it the right one? (laughs) Yeah, maybe so for her. (laughs) Uh, We're looking forward to the show. Yeah, specifically. Well, texters can, you know, 65780 on the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have a specific question for Randy about his career, we'll get into that. But also talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of sports. I'm I'm just going to jump all over the place with it. And just kind of have a fun hour. We'll say something. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Be terrific. Yeah.
I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, we haven't done this in a long time. Um, we could have done it last Friday, but yeah, you canceled on me. So what else is going on, guys? <laughs> oh, nothing. We're just counting down the days until we got some baseball and some hockey. Boy, I hope it. Uh, I hope it goes off without a hitch. I was. Uh, I. It, I'm trying to just. Here's the way I approach all of it. I am just. Um, Cautiously optimistic is my approach with all of it. That's the way to be. Yeah. Spend your life being cautiously optimistic and you'll be fine. I understand that some of the players in baseball are going to opt out. I would assume we may hear more about that probably in the next 24 hours mm-hmm. with the, the report date being tomorrow, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. July 1st? Yep. It's July 1st tomorrow, right? Yeah, hard to believe. I was trying to think of Cardinals that might do that. The one that would come to mind, but I don't think he's going to do it after being on Instagram in, in Bush Stadium and throwing a bullpen would be Jordan Hicks. It would right. make sense because he's diabetic, mm-hmm. so pre-existing condition. But if he's there, I would assume he's just going to continue to throw um, and coming back from Tommy John. But um, I don't I don't see anybody else doing it. I really don't. And the guys that have decided to opt out this year are middle-aged guys with kids and relatives that are dealing with underlying conditions. And, and have made a ton of money. Right. right. So it's, you're, you've got Desmond, you've got uh, Leak, you've got Zimmerman, you've got Ross. So uh, it, it, uh, there seems to be a specific type of guy that is opting out right now. I wonder, too, once we get into this and they get into the rhythm of testing, if it becomes either a nuisance, which it probably already is a nuisance, mm-hmm. or if it becomes just a complete burden for some of these players and they say, I, I don't want to go through this. You know, whether it's just to how they have to travel on the road or whatever. Well, now, we really won't know that until they get into the season, but once they get to spring training, or I guess uh, summer camp is what they're calling it, yeah. but, you know... Brought if you just, by Camping World. Good call. Um, if that becomes just an issue and they, they're like, look, I- I'm good, um, I'm done. One other note here is that Desmond and Leak are on teams that probably don't have a chance to win, and Ross and Zimmerman just did win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would think the competitive aspect of things probably plays a role for some guys, too. I would think so. I, I, I always say follow the money. You know, if you've made your money, um, and I think Leak gets in his, the buyout on his contract, he's here is $5 million bucks which will kick in no matter what if he plays this year or not. So he's looking at 5 million plus he got the I think 286 on the upfront money mm-hmm. and he's made a ton of money anyway. So, you know, I, I get it some players are are in a position to say I- I'm good. I don't want to go right. through this and more power to him. Yeah, move on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh we will have scoops with Danny Mac coming up in just a moment. Yeah, we can talk to it. By Dan- Tanner Hendrickson, our producer engineer today. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we're halfway through the week. This was hump day. Hump day starts right now for this week. Awesome. Yeah, because it's a four-day work. Oh, yeah. I keep yeah. forgetting that we're off Friday. Yeah, we've got a best of coming up on Friday. What's going to be on the show? Do you Have you figured it out yet? Yeah, we've we've got quite a show coming up. It's going to be awesome on Friday. You just don't know yet. Oh, no, we do. It's going to have, uh, we're going to have Big Mac. We're going to have uh, that was a good one. Joe Buck. We're going to have. Mm-hmm. Good one. Uh, I've got a whole list. we got. Twelve segments. I think I might have a best of. I might do. I'm, I'm in. I'm in debate right now. I really like the Chris Pronger interview, and that was before that was uh, a lot of folks were really back in their cars yet. So I, I might do that. That's a good call. Yeah, I like. I might that. do that one. Yep. Okay. Uh, Scoops with Danny Mac is next for all of us until tomorrow at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.